All right, Justin, sing me a song that you assumed would be good based on the artist and what other people had said about it. But by the, when, when you listen to it, you're like, fuck, this sucks. Hmm. This is hard for actually, me. Yeah, because, this is actually really tough. Because I'm not really one who, I'm not a person who anticipates songs. I, I've never been that person. So this is like so foreign to me. I, I've never been somebody who's like, oh, this artist is coming out with this. I've always just kind of been like, a, yeah, I'll see, I'll listen to it. Uh, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it. Or, you know, I'll listen to it and go, yeah, I liked it or eh, it, it, not for me and then move on. But I've never like anticipated a song. So it's just kind of weird. Uh, I, I well, mean, I've got an example oh, that maybe might help you. Okay. So before you heard anything, off Saint Anger from Metallica. Were you maybe anticipating that it might be good though? Well, that see, that's a weird story too, because I got into Metallica hella late. So it was like after they had dropped a lot of these albums already. So like I never had that kind of um anticipation. For, for like that because i had i had kind of missed them and then somebody sort of was like no you need to give them a chance this that and the other and so then i became a fan but i wasn't like always always a fan like growing up and stuff like that and i don't even know if i even remember when saint anger came out i just remember eventually listening to it and not liking I mean, I, I guess it kind of fits. I mean, I, I definitely did not expect <laughs> what I got, you know, when, when I did well, finally listen to some of the songs. I definitely wasn't expecting that. And I was like, oh, man, what did they what happened here? <laughs> it, it definitely did surprise me in that way. But, um, but man, a specific song. Uh, Man, I think you got me on this one, man. I don't really have that situation, I think. I would music. All right. So that's that's a that's a that's a loss for Justin. Yep. All right, Heather, what about you? Do you have anything? Can you maybe pull one out on this one? I'm not even gonna pretend like I can think of one. I, I feel like it's going to be one of those, I'm going to think of like four or five once this is over. But right now I'm just like blanking totally on it. So I'm going to have to take a loss. Really? Nothing? Guy. No, I, I was trying to rack my brain. I just, I can't think of one where I'm just like, I'm excited for this song because of who sings it and was just completely let down. I can't think of one. Well, a good example would have been Apparently, you guys in this game. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I was looking forward to your answers, and you just disappointed. You brought nothing. We, we have such little time. I, I wasn't prepared. <laughs> that is no excuse. You know how the game is played. Yeah, but we don't know what you're going to ask. But you know how the game is played. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, I'm not, I'm not upset with you guys. Okay, I'm just, just disappointed. 
Oh, boy. Well, I mean, I guess there's nothing left to say, but I don't know. I guess let's just start the episode, I guess. (laughs) So disappointed. I guess, hey, Cinefans, welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Oh no, the tone. I mean, I just, I just don't know anymore, guys, just don't know. All the disappointment. But you know what? I need to step up my game. You guys came here to listen to us talk about movies. And you expect you expect us to bring our A game. And you know, Justin and Heather decided, you know, they were gonna take the afternoon off, apparently. <laughs> but you know what? I won't do that to you guys. I'm gonna come at you with the same old Sterling you know and love. Because everybody just loves my fresh, amazing takes on these things. And no one ever even disagrees with me. Just always agree with what I have to say on this. So I'm going to come with that kind of energy. I'm going to give the Cine fans, you listeners out there, what you deserve. And with that, we are doing an A24 double feature on this episode. We are going to talk about the movies The Green Knight and In Fabric. We will talk about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between with those movies. We will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores and then into a more spoiler-centric section with time codes in the description also separating the movies with that for you to jump around if you want to. And with all that being said, because I'm just very curious at this point, Justin, what are your spoiler-free thoughts about The Green Knight? All right. So, spoiler-free, I would definitely say that this one caught me by surprise um i am a fan of the like arthurian legend stuff you know i've 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 watched a lot of king arthur stuff and so i'm familiar with a lot of that story and stuff like that so when i when i heard that this was going to be kind of uh based on one of those arthurian legend stories now i haven't read them all I kind of knew who Gawain was, but I, I, but I didn't, you know, but I haven't read the, the, the poem about this or anything like that. So I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be, but I had an idea of, you know, okay, it's Arthurian. So there's going to be magic. There's going to be, you know, we're going to be in medieval times. There's going to be magic. There's going to be all that kind of stuff. And so, um, as this movie is going through, and I'm realizing, man, okay, this is definitely not what I expected it to be. It's very like, I don't know, it's very kind of like reflective and it winds up being more of a person's like inner journey more than it is kind of like this outward journey of like all of these things happening and coming into combat with these monsters and 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 uh 
you know, magic creatures and stuff. It's definitely unlike any Arthurian movie or any story that I've read. So it's definitely different um, in that way. So it caught me by surprise, but I found myself kind of digging it, man. I thought that the, um, that this story, um, overall is a very interesting one. And some of it I didn't quite understand. I kind of had to go back and like look at some analysis of the film just to understand a few things like about the poem that I didn't know or like why they did certain things or where they were referencing certain things. And that definitely helped. Um, but overall, just with my movie experience, um, I found it interesting. I found it interesting about this kind of journey of this man to kind of find his bravery. You know, that that's really kind of what I got from this. It was a journey to find your bravery, but not in the same way that we've seen before. So I do kind of want to credit the movie for being unique, you know, in the way that it, t- it told the story. Um, but the, and also just visually, the, the movie looks great visually, like the set pieces that they put together for this, a lot of the special effects, um, just really the atmosphere, the Arthurian atmosphere that it creates, I thought was good. I thought that there were a lot of scenes that just look excellent. The camera work was done well to kind of set the tone for whatever scene or whatever place we were in. So I enjoyed all of that, too. So I thought visually it's a very well put together film as well. And then lastly, just the acting, man. Um, Dev Patel, I thought he did great. You know, I thought that he was very good as this character. I think that his acting alongside with everybody else was good. But definitely this is his journey. This is kind of his movie. So he's the standout here. You know, it, it's really about him and what he's feeling at the time, what he's going through and the kind of inner struggle that he has and how that relates to every character that he's in. And all of these things are kind of like the as he's going through, he's kind of going through these tests and it's very much on that actor to react to every test, to have a test weigh on him in a certain way, or to have a, a, a confrontation affect him in a certain way. So I thought that with everything, he did well. I thought that he was the driving force of the movie, and I think that he uh, acted well enough to get this movie to where it needed to go. And then there were some other supporting characters um, who were good. I, I liked also uh, Alicia Vikander, um, who played Essel in this. Um, she was very good, too. When the movie gets to her, I thought that she really um, knocked a couple of scenes out of the park. I thought that she really um, made an impact when she was on screen. So that was another person I kind of wanted to give um, a kudos to. Um, uh, other than that, I, I do want to preface that with, I don't think that this is for everybody. I do really think that this is kind of one of those quote unquote critic kind of films. You know, it's, it's one of those, you know, where you're having to look for clues. There's a bunch of allegories about things. Everything kind of has like a deeper meaning to what this quest is and what this character 
and what this character is being put through in order to get to this point of trying to become this knight. So I think that, um, you know, with that being said, there are some things though that, uh, th- that I didn't like about the movie and I won't get into any specifics here, but there are some things that I wish that maybe could have been explained better. There are some things where, you know, I had to get certain background on just to figure out, okay, well, what was that? Or there are a lot of parts in this where there are things happen and there are visions and there's like phantasmagoria and a bunch of different things like that to where you're like, okay, what's real? What isn't? Was that character really there or did this even really happen? Was it all in his head? And I'll have some more thoughts on like what I th- think it all means, which is what I think is the appeal of the movie. I do think this is one that is just fun to, to, to look at, to see what people got out of it. Did you get anything out of it? Did, um, did anything that it was trying to say appeal to you? Or did you not think any of that was effective and you just saw it at face value or whatever the opinion is? I think this is one this is one of those fun ones to have a conversation about and kind of talk about what the movie was trying to say and what it actually means. So, which I know of the three of us, I tend to be the one to lean towards those movies, just like with Parasite and stuff like that. I am kind of the critic guy of this podcast. So, I, I so it's not a surprise that I'm going to so I imagine where I'm going to fall is going to be different from where y'all fall. But this is kind of par for the course. This is kind of the pattern that I think we have kind of shown on this podcast. So, yeah. But, yeah. But but that's all from me for this section anyway. I definitely want to delve into kind of specific scenes and what I think it means and different things like that. But overall, yeah, man, this was definitely not what I expected but overall, I walked away appreciating it. it. It was unlike anything that I've seen all year at the movies. Justin, how dare you assume that I didn't like this movie based on me obviously saying I didn't like it at the beginning of the podcast with my song question. <laughs> Heather, what about you? Yeah, I think um, for me... I I do have to agree with Jason in the point that this is definitely not my cup of tea. <laughs> it, it's I don't lean towards this movie that much. Um, I do think it is visually incredible. Um, I think it's a beautifully shot film, and uh, everything they did with that, and even the costumes and everything like that's all very beautiful. So I will definitely say that that is one of the best things about this film for me uh dev patel i think in and of himself did a great job uh with the character he was supposed to be uh he brings a certain i guess charm or certain charisma or something something about how he plays a character he brings like this conviction to what he's doing and he's very good with you're kind of understanding I, I guess what he's feeling just off of a lot of facial expressions too, which I appreciate. Um, I, I just think that he's a very good actor. Like he's just really good at portraying characters that he's supposed to be. Um, so I do think that he did a great job. 
for, you know, what he could really do with this movie. Um, I think that Alicia Vikander also did a great job. She, I mean, you know, we'll get into it and everything. She plays uh, more than one character in this, but she's very good at playing both of them. Um, you know, I, they really do have a good cast of people to play the parts. Even when you see, um, you know, King Arthur and everything, like it looked like King Arthur. Like it just was good. Like they did very good costumes, makeup. All of that was great. Um, I think for me, it just kind of lost me a lot just in the, in what it was trying to do. Um, I, I think that it's just, maybe it was trying to do too much or be a little bit too, um, I don't know the word for it, but basically I just feel like they were trying really hard to make it a, an artistically beautiful and creative thing that maybe for me, I got lost when they did that, when I feel like they maybe tried to do a little too much with that aspect of it. And so I kind of got a little bit lost on maybe the point they were trying to do with some of the things. And maybe that's just me. I don't know. That's just kind of, it it was a little bit too much of the trying to figure out what certain things were supposed to mean. And I do love, you know, trying to figure out symbolism and things like that in movies. If I feel like um, it's done in a way where I connect with it maybe. But I guess for this, I wasn't really connecting with a lot of the the symbolism and the things that I feel like they were trying to make a point about here. So I didn't really, maybe that's the biggest part of it. I didn't really connect with this movie. Um, But I I don't know. I mean, it wasn't for, for it being mostly the journey of one person. I do, I will say I didn't think it was the most incredibly boring film I've ever seen. Um, I think it had some interesting parts. I think there are pieces of it that were, um, you know, they kept my attention. They were captivating. But um, I just think overall, for me, I kind of left this movie like, hmm, okay. I guess that was a thing, you know. Um, So that's kind of just how I felt after I left the movie. And um, yeah, I, I wasn't particularly impressed with anything about it except for how visually beautiful it is and again Dev Patel I think really did do a good job um playing um Sir Gowan but uh yeah for me I I will agree with Jason like I I mean I can lean towards some of the critic choice ones but this is not one of them for me this is just not my cup of tea um, I guess also I'm not as into the Arthurian stories and things like that either. So that could also be what it is. So I think really the biggest thing it comes down to is I did not really connect with this movie. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's where I landed on it. There have been a lot of buzzwords thrown about by, by Justin Heather, like acting, visuals, cups of tea. Arthurian. Um, and then some of those words, I agree. This is probably one of the more beautifully shot movies you will ever watch. This movie just kind of oozes cinematic style. This movie also oozes just 
pure, unadulterated acting. This movie also is a great blueprint on how to do diversity in traditionally non-diverse movies. This movie also just can't tell a fucking story to save its goddamn life. (laughs) It is the most convoluted and bullshit way to tell an Arthurian legend that you could ever possibly conceive. The point of an Arthurian legend, like the, well, not the point of an Arthurian legend, but the point of an Arthurian quest also dates back to a lot of the, the quests in Greek mythology. But an Arthurian quest is you have the end goal, the, the goal of the quest. And no matter who's going on that quest, there will be trials and tribulations on the way. And the, the way the story is told, those trials and tribulations, unbeknownst typically to who's going through them, are typically what prepare the, the quest taker for the ultimate goal of the quest. You know, if they need to learn lessons to ultimately succeed in their quest, they will learn them on the quest. And they kind of do that in this movie. In the dumbest fucking way you could ever think of doing it. The mental gymnastics one has to go through with this movie is on par with the utter travesty that was hereditary. And for good reason. Because I'm starting to call this, this is a, a a disease, if you will, that I have noticed in Hollywood lately. And I call it A24 syndrome, where A24 just releases cinematic visual masterpiece after cinematic visual masterpiece with great acting after great acting after great acting without a story to be seen at all. Where you have to go read a fucking research paper on Arthurian bullshit to fucking understand what the movie had to say because they couldn't fucking bring themselves to actually tell it in a coherent way to make it come across in the fucking movie. I know when we did our Parasite episode, Justin and I were very much at odds when it comes to symbolism and its effect on the story and something like that. Justin was talking about a lot of symbolism he saw, and I thought it was bullshit. Justin, I want to apologize to you for this, because compared to all this bullshit I've been seeing like this, you were 100% right. Parasite has effective symbolism that helps to tell a cohesive story, and I was wrong about it. Because they could have told it like this. <laughs> okay, I think. No, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> I was wrong when I talked about how ineffective Parasite was. I was wrong. This is ineffective. Parasite does do it. I mean, I just... This was astounding. You have to be like a mental 
Cirque du, Cirque du Soleil or whatever the fuck that thing is called, gymnast, to connect all the fucking dots in this fucking movie. Because the movie doesn't do that for you. And I understand Justin is willing to do that. And that's fair. That is the type of person he is with some of this shit. And that's perfectly fair. And his interpretation of movies will be colored by that. Just like my interpretation of movies will be colored by the fact that I think it's bullshit I have to do homework to get a fucking movie. And that's what this is. And this isn't normal homework. This is like doctorate level thesis fucking homework to connect these dots. Because some of these dots aren't even in the same fucking bookstore that they sell this book in. They exist in alternate dimensions. And they expect you to connect those. I am devastated by this movie. I was excited for it. Because like Justin, I am very big on Arthurian type of legends. I, I find them very intriguing. I, especially in modern culture. While I know the Arthurian quest structure, like I said, was stolen from the Greeks. When you look at like Odysseus and, and Hercules and Perseus and Theseus and the way their, their quests went. That was all stolen from the Greeks. And for all I know, the Greeks stole from somebody else. But I always liked the way they did it in Arthurian legend. I like how if you look at, at, your, at Arthurian legend, the sheer amount of incest and betrayal that's in Arthurian legend puts Game of Thrones to shame. And it's, it's still, for whatever reason, almost considered pure. You know? Like, I go back and look at something like Sword in the Stone. Or isn't that the, yeah, the Disney movie, the anime movie. And sometimes it astounds me that they were able to make a child story off, like, something with Arthurian legend when you really look at it. Like I said, there is so much incest and betrayal and just crazy-ass themes in Arthurian shit. And they did it. I'll give them credit. It's just this one to me feels like they came up with a bunch of scenes and they came up with a bunch of ideas and they didn't know how to frame it. So they went, you know what? Let's use, let's, let's use uh, Garwin, which is also like, I, I don't know if that's actually the correct person pronunciation of Gawain, but yes, they do say it differently and this and that's fine, whatever. Um, but did they take that and just like use that to frame their story? Because it didn't feel like that was actually their intent going into this. And for all I know, there actually could be the, the tale of the green Knight in the Arthurian stuff. I don't know all of it, just like Justin. I don't remember that being one of the stories, but it could have been. And mainly because the familial connection to him doesn't make sense to me. So, uh, to, to Arthur, I should have said. Based on what I remember of Arthurian stuff, that I don't see that connection. Anyway, no, that's a whole other point. I just feel like they came up with scenes and ideas, and they filmed all those. And then they went, yep, guess it's a movie. And then sent it out for us to watch. I think this movie was desperately in need of an, of an actual editor. Not like a film editor like a book editor 
those guys to go through it and go, well, this doesn't make sense. Clarify this, this, this like to fix this, the, the story structure, this movie desperately needed that. And there wasn't one in sight. I'm done talking about it now, or at least at this section. Uh, recommendations and scores. Heather, go. Recommendations and scores. Um, I'm going to give it... Um, I mean, it's definitely not the worst thing, but I don't know if I can just say I'm middle of the road with it. I lean a little bit more towards not liking it than liking it. Um, I'm going to give it... Well, first of all, I'll say I don't specifically recommend it. Um, I they just I, I guess if you just want to see one of the most visually pleasing movies, sure, that's fine. Watch it for that. It is really great with that. But I just there's nothing in it that really makes me specifically say that you should like, yes, this is a must see, at least not in my book. I totally get people who do want to watch it, who do like it. I totally get why, but for me, it's not, it's not, um, not on my list of must-see anything. So I'm going to give it 48 tokens of kindness that lead to a trap out of a hundred. Justin, what about you? Um, yeah, I, well, I definitely recommend that if you're looking for something different, you know, if you're looking at the movie landscape and, you know, if you're kind of somebody who's a little burnt out on the superhero stuff, the formulaic stuff, you know, the stuff that is typically coming out and we see all the time, you know, the, 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 the horror stuff, this, that, and the other, I think that this might be a movie that could satisfy that something different that you're looking for because, because it is very different. It's, um, it's, it, it, and the way that it tells the story is just, um, it's a different kind of movie experience, but, but I understand that it's not always the kind of movie experience that, uh, that everyone enjoys. You know, but if this, but but if that fits you, if you're if you're somebody who likes something just a little more complex, you like to dig through, look at it, figure it out. You like you want to you want to know. You like for things to kind of uh, you know, have different meanings, and what you're seeing is not all, only what's there, but then there's other things that you got to look for beneath the surface. And if you're looking for some, just a kind of a different take on the hero's journey, because we get the hero's journey so much. And most of the time it's done just in a similar way that we're all familiar with. So this was a more kind of like reflective, more kind of inner journey, inner hero's journey in a way. It was more about a person's kind of, quest to find something within themselves to determine if they have it or not and i think that that's where the film succeeds but you know but it's more about what it's doing artistically and the acting and different things like that so if if you're looking for something more of that and less of just kind of what we typically get around movie summertime i think that this is something you should try you know 
try it and then become a part of the conversation. See what you thought of it. How did you interpret it? Different things like that. Um, if you're a fan of Arthurian legends, it, it's got some similar beats in there. It's got the same kind of, uh, you know, Knight's Quest and different things like that. You'll recognize these characters. You'll, you'll, you'll see some things that you recognize and like and stuff like that. So I don't know. I think that those people definitely should see it, especially because when I think about a lot of the author movies that have come out lately, like I know that there was one King Arthur and it was, um, oh my gosh, what's the name of that actor? He's the star of Sons of Anarchy. Like Charlie Hunnam um, or something like that? Char- yes, Charlie. Yes, him. Charlie Hunnam. Yes, that's it. Yeah, Charlie that Hunnam. movie sucks. Yeah, that was like terrible. This is a, 10 times better than that. You, you know, like a lot of times people do our theory and stuff. But I just haven't seen, but this is just so unique. It's a, such a unique way to do the story. And for me, it landed. And for you, it may not. But I think it's worth it because it's unique, because it's a little ambitious, because it was such a risk to do it this way. I do think uh, it's worth your time to see if you feel the same way. You know, would you care to see more? Um, like things like Arthurian legends and stuff like that done in this way. Is this kind of the way that, uh, is this another way to tackle the hero story that can be interesting and reflective and mean something and stuff like that? Um, you know, so, so I think that it's worth a watch just to be a part of the conversation. Um, as far as a score, we're going to go with, We'll go with 80 uh, lady heads in the water that you got to swim down there and fetch out of 100. Heather said it again when she was talking about cups of tea. And she says it's not her cup of tea. I would argue it's not a cup of tea at all. I would argue not even a beverage. I would argue... It's not even something you should ingest in the in in any way, shape, or form. Kind of like it's a uh, liquefied cement in a glass. Is what I would say this movie is. Liquefied cement in a glass. I don't recommend it. It's a big no from me. Now, as far as the score goes, I don't. I find myself having a hard time justifying it with a score, but. There's a scene in this movie that does make me want to give it a score because I want to use it as my score tagger. I had to search the recesses of my soul and I had to give it a score. So I give this movie go 11. I give it 11 cum-soaked magic armor rags out of 100. (laughs) Spoilers? Yeah. Did I do the recommendations and score sound? I don't think I did. You did not. Well, there's that one. It's going to suck when I have to edit. Anyway. All right. Spoilers. First and foremost, what the fuck was up with that scene? Where that woman's, I don't know. I couldn't tell based on the angle. Was she fucking him or was she just giving him a hand job? I don't know. I don't think they knew either, but it was one of those two things. 
And then she just rubbed that man's semen all over his magic armor rack. That was rude. <laughs> I can't condone such rudeness. Or weirdness. I don't think it was sex. I'm not sure either, but I'm, I don't think it was sex. I'm 95% like she... sure it was a hand job. Yeah, because I feel like she was like she was able to get like up and off of him like fairly quickly, considering. So I don't think it was sex. And you might be right. I'm just saying she was also moving very weird for it to be just a hand job. That's what I thought was weird about it. I know I'm really kind of sitting on this this scene, but it was a very <laughs> weird scene. It 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 really was. I give you that. Especially when they're like, you see later scenes when he doesn't take the, the, the belt off. And you're like, that means he hasn't washed his semen off of it yet. <laughs> it's just smelling like jizz nonstop. I understand it's the medieval ages. You know, there was lots of weird smells probably going on. But it's just such a weird choice. <laughs> Um, I mean, there's not really any point in his quest that I really thought it was the most effective way to do, to, to teach the lessons that it was trying to teach, you know, with the, I mean, the closest one that I thought that they did was the, the one that Jastrom referenced in his score with the, the woman not having her head and the, the idea of helping somebody or doing something just for the sake of helping someone and not for the accolades or for a prize or anything in return. That aspect of it, I kind of understood. Well, I mean, I thought they portrayed that effectively. Now, what that completely had to do with this journey, I don't really think it does a good enough job of solidifying why he needed to learn that message to do this quest. Like I know part of the reason why he got into the predicament he was in was because of his desire to just do something great instead of the, the more probably noble idea of just doing something for the sake of helping people. So I understand that there's part of that and it's the part of it is to be to not seek the fame and all this other stuff. And I, I, I get that. But I don't think the movie truly did a good enough job of solidifying why that message was important in his quest to attack the Green Knight, or to, to, to confront the Green Knight at the end. I didn't understand the point of the fucking giants. I mean, I understand also that it's kind of loosely whether or not they were even real, because it's also implied that he took hallucinogenic mushrooms accidentally. But it was just kind of a pointless scene, just to kind of do some good-looking visuals. And in doing so, what, how long was that scene? 57 minutes? Something like that? <laughs> At least that's how long it felt. It felt like they did that giant, or the hallucinating slash giant scene for no less than an hour and five minutes. And I don't understand why. I think that really kind of fucked with the pacing of the movie, which was very much on the slow side anyway. I'm not saying that that's necessarily a detriment to the film. Some movies can be slow. Not every movie has to be fast. I get that. 
I just think when your movie is already slowly paced, you don't need to do things that kind of take the movie and put it to a complete stop for, you know, how long did I say? An hour and 15 minutes? (laughs) Sure. Which is what I felt like they did with that stuff. I think a lot of the weird ambiguity behind his mother being the one that conjured the Green Knight and all this other stuff. I think that that was kind of not explained or showed properly. It makes sense in the Arthurian legend because him and his sister are at odds in Arthurian legend. She shapeshifts into somebody and fucks him to have a son that ultimately kills him. I mean, he kills his son also, but that's neither here nor there. But that's not really the vibe they were giving off in this movie with some of that stuff. Because that's also why, like, Gawain doesn't really necessarily fit into that aspect of it. Because, I mean, I could be wrong, but is Gawain Arthur's nephew? I don't remember that being a part of the story. But I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, there's so... Yeah, because remember at the dinner when... No, no, I know in the movie he is. Oh, you're talking about in the poem? I'm talking about an Arthurian legend, is he? Is he Arthur's nephew? I think so, yeah. So his sister has two kids? I See, that's what I don't remember. I don't remember him, her having two kids. Because Gawain isn't the one that kills Arthur. That's what was throwing me off. I could be wrong. But that's also the problem with the Arthurian legend, is there's like 19 different versions of ever Arthur, every Arthurian story. Yeah, that's the thing about it, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a bunch, you know. Um, but so I didn't really, like, that part of the plot didn't make that much sense to me. I understand why they did that flash-forward scene whenever he met the Green Knight. I just didn't think it was necessarily done effectively. I I guess I kind of liked how that showed him or that whole flash forward thing that he experienced or saw or visioned or however the fuck you want to word it did inspire him to do the right thing, which I guess in the end ultimately saved his life and is what, you know, had him actually being the virtuous knight he needed to be. I guess that kind of makes sense in the end. It's just, I thought it was very weirdly done because it shows you go through all these steps and all these things and it just goes through it so quickly that you don't even necessarily get the emotional resonance or balance you need to make that scene more effective. I think if they had cut like 10 minutes out of the movie and got to that scene sooner, you actually could have dragged that part out more to make it more surprising when it became undone at the end. I think that would have been a more effective way of doing it. Then, like, I understand the lesson that the handjob mistress was trying to teach him about the idea of if he's going to keep that on or if he's going to do this or that, he's not really a knight. Like, he's not, which is also implying that he's not virtuous, that he would cheat at the game against the Green Knight. And that's not how you beat the game with the Green Knight and all this other stuff. I get that that's what they were showing with that, but they did a very weird way of doing it. And then I also didn't understand a lot of the shit with Joel Edgerton's character in that stuff. Where, you know, like the whole thing was like, 
you know, uh, the only thing I ask if while you stay here is that whatever you get while you're here, you give back to me tenfold or, or twice or I don't know, or one tenth of however the fuck you worded it, whatever. And he's like, well, what do you mean? That's weird. And he's like, you'll know in the end. I think Joel Edgerton was telling him, bro, you owe me a hand job. <laughs> Could have been. And then there was the weird kissing scene, which I've got no problem seeing two guys kiss in a movie. I actually enjoy some movies where two guys kiss in a movie. I didn't understand why they kissed in this movie. It just didn't make any sense. Other than if the scene was him going, dude, you owe me a hand job. Then I actually kind of get it. He's just trying to get what he was owed. But in general, it did, like especially the symbolism in that scene, it didn't really make any sense to me. And because I was just kind of, I don't want to say checked out, but not like enjoying a single second of a lot of what I was watching. While visually spectacular, that whole weird, I'm going to paint your picture by prismatically actually doing a photograph onto this one, I guess, treated section of my wall that would actually develop, I thought was dumb. It's a visually spectacular scene. It is probably one of your more beautiful scenes you will see in a modern movie. It's just fucking dumb. And then somehow that ends up on his wall at the end of the movie during the flashboard, which makes no sense. How did he get a section of the wall from one castle to the other? When did he see that couple again? Does that mean he went back and gave Joel Edgerton a handjob to get that painting? I have questions that aren't answered. Also, I think I can answer one of your questions real quick, though. That he did give him a uh, handjob? <laughs> no. Um, oh. In Arthurian legend, yes, Gawain is the nephew and a loyal supporter of King Arthur, usually per, uh, portrayed as knightly perfection against whom all other knights were measured. That's certainly not who you get in this movie. <laughs> but didn't, who's, who's, who's his mother? I can take a look. Go ahead with your other stuff, though, while I look that up. Okay. I really thought you were going to answer the great handjob question. <sighs> <laughs> I do not have an answer for that. But what Morgoth? was I even saying? Morgoth is his mother. That's the name it's showing. Morgoth? Mm-hmm. So that is Morgana. It's Morgana. So okay. Morgana is his mother? I guess I'm 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 getting something else crossed with something else then. Because I could have sworn Morgana's son is with Arthur, but he didn't know it was with her. I'll look it up when you guys go. Because I, I have a very specific train of thought. Goss is the half sister of Arthur yeah. who married Lot. Yeah. Because her mother her father yeah. was the pin dragon. Or it wasn't the pin dragon. Her father, or sorry, her mother is who Arthur Pendragon's father sorcery raped to have Arthur. Because okay. he was shapeshifted to look like her husband. And so he raped her. And that's how they had Arthur. Yeah, and he she was the half sister. But then she also shapeshifts to fuck Arthur to have a son that ultimately kills Arthur. But then also, I guess, I mean, I guess it's because they were taking some liberties with the Arthurian stuff that it would make sense that they didn't necessarily portray that. 
But that would explain why his mother was did summon the whole Green Knight thing was in an attempt to kill Arthur. Because it is one of those things that she always hated Arthur because of who his father was, what that did to his mother, and then him becoming king. Oh, okay. I guess that does make sense because that was one of my questions too. But yeah, that makes sense. But see, that's the thing is they didn't always portray that in this because for a lot of it with Arthur, he didn't know he had the sister. Well, he knew he had the sister because they grew up together, but they didn't, he didn't know who his true parentage was for a while. You know what I mean? And she did yeah. know what happened to her mother because the sorcery didn't work. Like she could see that that wasn't her father. She could see that that was someone else shapeshifted to look like her father. So in doing so, she knew what happened and resented Arthur because of that. See, Arthurian legend's a mess. A fucking mess. Anyway, I just think that there was way more effective ways to teach some of these lessons. I don't think they always hint, like hit properly. I think if you really sit down and think about it, you can discern what lessons were learned on the journey. But I don't think that they did a really good job of truly setting that in the movie while it was happening and then also truly showing why they needed to be learned to truly affect his outcome with the Green Knight. And then to top it all off, this movie does have an end credit scene. I don't know if you guys saw it, but I actually stayed and watched it. And it's just dumb, because it's just a girl picking up the fucking Arthur crown. And it's weird. And it's just some Hmm. little girl. I don't remember what little girl it was, but it was just some random little girl picking up the Arthur crown. And I'm like, and putting it on, I'm like, See, this movie had no idea what it was doing so much that its end credit scene makes no fucking sense. It's just fucking bonkers. And because I feel like Justin is going to have a super long amount of stuff to say about this, I'm going to let Heather go first so that way <laughs> we can end it with the more stuff said. All right, Heather, go. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think there's some scenes, like, while they were interesting, I think I didn't fully follow what they were doing with it. Um, But I will, I do want to say, just to touch on a couple of things I did enjoy. Um, Like I said, I think Dev Patel did a great job. And Sterling, I'm actually glad that you mentioned the whole idea of, you know, how how to put diversity in stories that are, you know, they're not traditionally that way. I, I do absolutely agree with that. And I think that they did it really well here. And um, I, I, I just, I don't know what it is, but as much as like, I don't really care for the movie necessarily. I just, I don't, I don't want to undermine the performances because they really were great performances. And um, Alicia Vikander, she plays both the, the lady who was um, doing whatever she was doing with with him in the castle, and then um, she also played his his girlfriend, Essel. Um, is that her name? Essel. Um, but yeah, she did a great job playing both. Very different characters. Um, but she just really she was really great in both of them. Very intriguing and in all of that. But the one thing I will say about her playing the lady. In general, the lady was just kind of annoying to me. 
because she would use all of this like flowery language and be super dramatic about everything that she said. And maybe that's her character. Maybe that's the point of it. But like when they're sitting there and she's, you know, trying to explain about, you know, oh, the color green and like all the things that it means and all that stuff. I just, I, it lost me because she was just like, she was trying to make a point, but she was just using this flowery language that was like, I feel like what was the point in saying everything you just said? And again, maybe it's because I just didn't connect with it. And I was just like, wow, that's a very long-winded like answer that you're giving to whatever they were talking about. So I, I kind of found her in general to be a slightly annoying character. But I think Alicia Vikander did a fantastic job as the character. Um, she did a good job of being that, you know, like seductive, you know, mysterious, like you don't really know what she's doing. And then she becomes a little bit more clear with her intentions with it. Um, yeah, that was interesting. I didn't know quite the point of the blind lady or the lady who was blindfolded. Um, I wasn't really sure what that was about or what the point of that was. Um, and yeah, I also, I don't know. I think that the, also the scene with the group of people who basically took everything from him and tied him up. Um, I just feel like what was the lesson for that? You know, like I wasn't sure quite what the lesson was with it, unless it was just more of like, this is a thing that happened to kind of get him to the point where all the other lessons needed to be learned. Um, but yeah, I just think that it, it was just confusing. Like for me, I just, and, you know, and I look back on some things afterwards and I'm like, okay, I kind of get a little bit more now. Like um, the whole thing where he's kind of envisioning the future at the end there, like when he's in front of the green knight and about to basically accept his fate, he's going through this whole scenario of his whole life. And, um, which really was interesting and really cool, like how they did that. And I was like, what is going on? Like, this is totally like, not at all the life that you know, he imagined he was going to have if he became an honorable knight. Right. But, um, so I think it was really cool how they did that part of it. Um, and I guess you can kind of see they did it a little bit more in the movie too, with when he did get tied up by the, the, uh, that group of people. And then you kind of see it pan away and then it pans to like him as a skeleton. And then it pans again and it's him struggling. So it kind of feels like, I don't know if that's what they were doing, but I feel like maybe that's, they were trying to allude to like, he was envisioning that that was going to be him just like there forever and just die there. (laughs) And then because of that, it motivated him to try and do something about it. So, um, yeah, I, I just think they, they had some interesting concepts in it, but I, I do think maybe convoluted is the word that like that you said for it, Sterling, but I, I just don't think that it was, it didn't gel for me as much as I would have liked it to, because you're kind of like, you don't know where this journey is going to go, right? And again, maybe that's the point of it. But I feel like in movies that have these long journeys and these adventures and things like that, I feel like you're like, oh, that was awesome. What's next? 
And for this, I was just kind of like, well, that was weird. Is something else going to happen with that later? Or was that it? Like, that's just kind of how I felt after every, like, point in his quest that he was on. Um, I also am not fully sure um, if and what necessarily the fox was supposed to represent. But, I mean, I didn't mind the fox. i just not sure symbolically, specifically, what that was supposed to be. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I I just feel like there were, there were so many things where they wanted to put a lot of mystery and a lot of like, they want you to think about these things. They want you to try and figure out some of these, um, symbolic things or what these things are supposed to represent. But for me, I think it was a little bit too hidden or not clear enough for me to kind of understand fully what they were doing in really any given moment of the movie. Um, I do think that, I mean, I did actually like the ending more than I expected to because it's just weird because the Green Knight turned out, unless I'm misunderstanding, the Green Knight wasn't like really the villain. You know, he wasn't the villain at all. He uh, I mean, and that's kind of a thing too that I guess I kind of liked about it was that at the beginning, when we're first introduced to the Green Knight, um, King Arthur even tells, you know, uh, Gowan when he steps in, he's like, just remember it's a game. And so that kind of, in a way, sets the tone for maybe what's going to happen here. But I just kind of, I did like that kind of callback to it because at the end, you see that. You know he's supposed to strike the same um, the same blow that he's given, and um. But then the whole the just the whole idea, or just the even them mentioning like don't forget that it's a game. Like I just feel like them pointing that out specifically had to have meant something, so that there was going to be something else at play here. Um, I do also think that as much as I think the the story was kind of a little bit slower in parts where it could have spent less time on certain things. I actually kind of wish at the beginning they kind of would have set up the character of who Gowan was a little bit more before he went on his quest. Because you see a little bit of like, you know, he's like the wild one, but he's also brave and he, you know, he just really wants to be an honorable knight. But I just feel like getting a little bit more of what his character was about or who his character was prior to his journey, prior to the, you know, first meeting with the Green Knight, I think maybe would have helped me, um, you know, be rooting for Gowan a little bit more. And um, so I just kind of wish they would have, as much as I did like that they jump right into the stuff that happens, just a little bit more of, you know, his interactions or his just kind of his personality or just a little bit more about him set up his character a little bit more for me before getting right into it. Because, you know, you don't really know offhand, like when he's, he's like, no, I'll do it. I'll challenge him. That's fine. Like, yeah, he seems super brave and all of these things, but you don't really get much of a setup of like, okay, so why? Like, what is, you find it on his journey that he's like, you know, I want honor from this. Like I want to be a knight and all these things. But I just think seeing that, that dream or that 
you know, longing to be that a little bit more would have helped set up what takes place right after it. So, um, but other than that, a lot of the things Sterling said, I do agree with. Um, and you're right. I mean, it's not, and I mean, Justin, you're right. It's not, it is not for everybody, but at the same time, I do get, there are certain people and specific people who like certain movies that will like this movie. I know probably a handful of people that I could probably actually recommend it to, and they would be like, oh, great recommendation. But as, you know, as I said, it's not something that I really connected with and that I really fully understood what they were trying to do with it. So I couldn't really in good conscience say, yeah, absolutely watch this movie. But again, maybe just a lot of what they were doing was over my head and not knowing much background into the Arthurian world and legend and quests and things like that other than just the basics maybe that's why for me a lot of it was kind of like i don't i don't really know but more so i don't really even really care what's happening here um i mean i care that he went on his journey i care that you know he lives you know i care about those parts of it but i'm just kind of like i i wasn't just like oh my gosh i'm so concerned about his life right now throughout any point of this movie, you know, because you also know, it kind of sets it up for you to know sort of what the end game is going to be. Right. So yeah, uh, it just was, it was a little bit too, um, a, a kind of all over the place. And I feel like the things it was trying to do for me to be fully engaged in the story as a whole. All right, Justin, what about you? All right. I guess just to start with some, things that uh that that i guess i liked about the the movie or the story or whatever um you know i really think that the easiest way to look at this and just the way i looked at it the way i kind of analyzed it is is that all of this is a quest for honor but what exactly is that you know what exactly is honor is it the actions that you perform, you know, do, does do the actions that you perform make you an honorable person or is it the intent behind those actions? You know, it, is that a part of it, too? Do, is it actually both of those things that kind of determine whether an individual is is really acting with honor and, and different things like that? Um, so for me. This, that's really what this quest is. It's a, a quest for a person to try to find that honor, true honor, and true bravery, which is what the character didn't have at the beginning, you know? And, and they kind of gave you plenty of examples of that, just when you see in, like, his everyday life. And so he's in a brothel, and he's... um got this girl who, and he's of a noble, you know, this is somebody who is of the noble family, though he's like that nephew. And, you know, Arthur kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, we, I should have been tried to get closer to you. I should have had a connection with you. So this is somebody who, um, all of those things are just subtle ways of saying that this is somebody who he wasn't really, he was kind of like a black sheep, right? Or like, and maybe he wasn't quite accepted anywhere. 
he wasn't really like he was trying to be that 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 person who was part of the family and have that connection with the Knights of the Round and he wanted that aspect of his family he wanted Arthur's respect he wanted to be this honorable chivalrous you know knight so that was one part of it but then there's this other part of him that where obviously you know he is sort of an outsider within that family you know he's there he's associated but he's not he doesn't he doesn't feel that he has the same connection with Arthur as they do despite the fact that he is family and that was something that the characters talked about you know that was something that they I, I think pretty much made clear with some of those opening conversations and I think that those were effective I liked all of that and kind of seeing his lack of confidence you know that there were just visual things that they were giving you with the character like he wasn't he couldn't quite look at Arthur you know he th- there were parts where you could tell that he was nervous and he wasn't quite confident in himself the part where Arthur asked him you know let me hear a story about you let me get to know my nephew you know what is something that you can tell me what's a story about you so that I can get to know who you are and that look that he that that um that Gawain gave when he was like I don't have any stories to tell and stuff like that so right away there there's this character that he desires to be this honorable brave knight but he doesn't feel that he has those qualities he feels kind of like he's been an outsider and he's doing something you know he's got his girlfriend or the person he's sleeping with is a prostitute so obviously there is a part of him that feels like he is unworthy of this you know so i feel like um with his mother or morgan lefay morgana whatever you want to call her uh all of this to me was just something that she concocted to test him and he was either going to pass this test right he was going to play this game and he was either going to pass this test or he wasn't and that's ultimately what this is the green knight is just a part of that test that that was just all represented in this game to see if he could be this honorable brave night in the end and so that's kind of how i took the movie and like at the beginning of the movie uh i didn't see it as whenever he challenges the green knight uh again you know yes it was brave to say okay i'm gonna i want to stand up i want to go up against the the green knight but in another way it was probably meant for him to do this right like it was meant for him to be the one to step up to this quest because you know, this was all concocted by witchcraft to be his test, you know, and they showed that, you know, they showed the letter being concocted. They kind of showed that this was uh, a a quest of a magic making to see if Gawain had the goods, or at least that's how I interpreted it. So whenever he goes up against the Green Knight, what does the Green Knight say? Whenever you slash me, you know, whatever blow you deal to me, it's going to be dealt back to you. And what is Gawain doing? He's looking around. He's kind of nervous. And, you know, and what, but what does he say, though? I want everybody to remember this. I want everybody to know who, you know, what happened here whenever I faced the Green Knight and all of this kind of stuff. And that's, you know, he's being too arrogant. He's doing this for the wrong reasons. He's not really looking at the challenge. 
why not just, okay, well, if I'm going to be dealt the same blow that, that he gave me, you know, the Green Knight laid down his axe and allowed any free hit that he wanted to give him. Why don't you do the same? Would an honorable person even strike a person who was unarmed and no weapon and stuff like that? So, so to me, it was an act without honor. It was the, the, the opening act was totally something that wasn't honorable. You know, he cut his head off and the guy wasn't even defending himself or anything like that, but he saw it as this is my chance to show my bravery. This is my chance to show that I have what it takes to be a knight, but it wasn't. He, that that wasn't a very honorable move by him. And so when you break down each of these tests, it's just him not doing what he should have been. You know, it's him not passing these tests. Like, and, and, and so there, and then finally, when we get to that final test, he does pass. That's ultimately what this is. It's a person, you know, not doing, not having those qualities that they need to have, not passing the test, but as this journey is happening, he's going, he's understanding, and he's developing, and finally, at the end, makes the right choice. He gets it finally at the end. Just like, you know, a person, and, and you know, we've seen this plenty of times, like, I mean, and it's not like this hasn't been done before or done differently in other things that we understand. This is the karate kid failing to catch the flies until we get to the montage at the end where he does catch the flies with the chopsticks. This is, you know, th there are hundreds of examples. This is, um, you know, th this is, uh, who am I thinking of? This is Sam, you know, throwing the shield in the woods and unable to, ref to bounce it off of surfaces and catch it just right and everything like that. And then at the end, he's finally doing it right. That's essentially what happened here. This is a person not really understanding what it really is to be honorable and then finally understanding what real honor is at the end, you know? And, and so when you get to the end of the film and he's having that flashback or what I like to call the bad video game ending, because that's what it sort of felt like. Like if you're a gamer, you know what I'm talking about. That was the bad ending, right? Like when you don't, when you don't collect all the items, when you use the cheat codes, when you don't beat the game honorably, when you don't collect what you need to collect, you get that bad ending, right? There are certain games where you get an ending that is not the best ending you could get, right? Because you didn't do all the actions. You didn't really do it like a real gamer supposed to, right? You didn't collect all the coins. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. So you get a, yeah, you get an ending. Sure, you beat the game, but man but 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 this is the ending without honor that's what he saw that was his life with no honor him going back and telling Arthur yeah I did it I passed the test eventually becoming the king shunning his uh you know he even though he had a kid with his uh girl um shunning her in the end to marry into a noble family but the whole time the look on his face and all of these glorious things happening and him just still, it's all built on lies. It's all built on a dishonorable act. And that's what they were showing you. You know, they were showing you what this person would, the life this person would live 
without honor. And even though he would get all of those things, he would get and attain all these things that an honorable knight would receive. But because he had no inner honor, it doesn't mean shit. And he finally realized what what it means to have true honor. And that's what that essentially was. Uh, all the other stuff that you guys are talking about, like as far. And so that's what I loved about that ending. That was the realization. And that's why he had to remove that protective um, uh, scarf, cloth, whatever you want to call it, that protective thing at the end when he finally said, okay, let me remove this because he had no protection, no cheat codes. There's no way finally accepting his fate, accepting that this, these were the terms. I played the game. These were the terms and accepting the fate of those terms. That's honor. <laughs> Honoring your debts. Isn't that what they call it? That's what honor is, accepting, you know, if you deal something, accepting your fate, accepting whether you live or die, that you are doing it because those, that was the terms of the game. You played the game and this is what's supposed to happen. So to me, all of that was very powerful. And at the end there, um, I don't think you needed to see anything else to understand what happened with the Green Knight. You know, he finally passes the test. He finally understands what true honor is. And so then finally, the the Green Knight, what does he do? He deals him the same blow, right? It was a blow across the neck. But what does he do? He doesn't chop him with the axe across the neck, right? He just puts his thumb under his neck and then just gives him the same motion that he gave him, right? But it was nowhere near, but, but it wasn't. So yes, in a way, technically he did give him the same blow, but it was a much lighter, much softer blow because he had passed the test. You know, there was no need to cut his head off. That was what they were trying to get. That's what the mother was trying to get out of him. That's what all the witchcraft was about. The fogs, all of that stuff, all of that was all designed to get him to a place to where he finally had that honor and could actually be a, a, a knight in the truest sense. Because any other path that he would have chosen, that's what he would have wound up with that bad ending, uh, so to speak. And when you look at the movie like that, then you kind of, to me, it's you better understand all of the different tests and trials that he went on the 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 with the kid and everything like that. That first test was him failing to be generous. You know, he could have gave that kid something for his trouble, giving him those directions, stuff like that, but he didn't. He had to be told time after time, well, hey, can you give me some spare change? Hey, can you give me some a coin or something for that or whatever? You know, you're so, you're rich, you know, you got all this money and stuff. You couldn't share that with me. So, you know, he wasn't, he didn't see the need to be generous in that moment. It was just kind of using the kid to get the directions. Okay, I'm out of here. And that's ultimately, and that's not an honorable thing. And then you just move on to every test. And that's what it was. You guys talked about the woman and the head in the water and how he was like, well, what do I get in return? That That's a lack of honor, right? Like a chivalrous generous knight would just do the right thing, but he hadn't arrived there yet. So he's still thinking about what do I get in return? What is my reward? So that's all this was. 
I do agree about the Giants. I didn't really know what they were or why they were there, uh, or, or at least why they were there in the sense of what, like, who they were as characters. Um, I didn't understand that, but I definitely understood uh, what happened with the Fox versus what happened with him. You know, he shouted out to them and tried to say, hey, can I ride on your shoulder or whatever? It's a long journey and everything like that. And then when the when he faced the giant, though, and the giant tried to touch him or reach out to him, he cowered. You know what I mean? He's not brave. He's not this knight that he's supposed to be. The character is just not there yet. And then the wolf, what did the wolf do? The wolf, I'm, the wolf, I'm sorry, the fox. What did the fox do? The fox howled and stuck its ch- stuck its chest out and was proud and howled and everything like that. And what did they do? They acknowledged that because there was some truth in that. You know that there was there was truth in what that fox did versus him trying to be something that he's not yet or hasn't figured out what to be. And then, you know, it goes on to the same thing like the the hand job mistress y'all are talking about. Same kind of deal, right? He couldn't resist, even though he was trying to resist the temptations. Ultimately, he said, I want this. I do want you. You know, he didn't resist as like he should have. And of course, what did she say to him in the end of that? You're no knight. You know what I mean? You're you're not a knight. So I feel like the when you go back through and you bring, and I'm not going to go through every scene here. Uh, um, it's point. I think that's pointless. But that's how. But that's just in a nutshell how I interpreted the movie. Everything was about him getting to this point of be doing the honorable thing and actually having that honor within himself, having real honor. And that's not so much about the actions you're performing. But it's also about the intent behind those actions. And this was a character that just thought, if I do these things, no matter how, I will become this knight. I will have this honor. But it was through the journey that he found out that true honor is, you know, is why you are doing things, not just simply the doing thing. So that that in a nutshell is how I interpreted the film and why I enjoyed the film and why I encourage people to give it a try to see if you drew the same conclusions that I did. Or if you didn't, why, you know, why do you think it could have been better and things like that, you know, like what you guys talked about. So, but ultimately that's why I liked it. I thought that it was a very interesting, different take on the hero's journey that I just hadn't seen, you know, attacked in such a way. Not with our theory and stuff. So I found that to be kind of cool, you know, uh, this guy playing this game and these these witchcraft temptations and him not passing, but then him finally coming to understand what true honor is and having it at the end. You know, Justin, I would have almost maybe agreed with you if I hadn't read the story of Gwen and the Green Knight while Heather was talking earlier. But first and foremost, why I was confused is I forgot Gawain, yes, is Arthur's nephew. But the one, because the nephew I was thinking of that is also his son, and that also depends on what version of Arthur you read, is Mordred. 
his son Mordred is the one he has with Morgana or Morgoth or whatever they want to call her. Uh, which I, actually, Justin, you also might know her better as she is portrayed in some things like some Marvel comics, which is Morgana Le Fay or Morgan Le Fay. Is how she's more commonly yeah. known nowadays. Yeah. That's what I call it. Yeah. 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 So she is going is her son with with King Lot, like Heather was saying. Uh, but that's why I was getting it confused is I forgot that there's that and it's Mordred. Mordred is the the nephew slash son of Arthur that kills him and that he kills also. That's what I was confused about. So Gawain, on the other hand, with the story of the Green Knight, you kept saying the word honor, Justin, which kind of makes sense in the story of Gawain and the Green Knight, in the, the original writing of it. Except it's more meant to portray honesty, not necessarily honor, which I do understand those are very close, but I do think they are slightly different. And this is why I disagree with your uh, your uh, assertion that his mom was put him to the test for that okay and that's just because the original story of it is is just like this or it is morgana le fay that does summon the green knight to to do the whole game and everything and it is going that goes and he does cut off the head and has to go a year later and all this other stuff the only thing they kept after that that is a part of the story is him showing up to that other castle. The whole story of him getting, you know, beat up by kids and the finding the woman's head for her and the giants and the fox to a degree, even none of that is in the original text. All of that is made up for this. And I think that that is why. I don't think, like I said, I don't think the lesson's completely tied in to what they were doing. And it makes sense now, because they weren't. They weren't in this, like, originally. They put it in there. I get that they have that liberty and all this other stuff. You can do whatever. I'm just saying, I think that that's one reason why I felt they were disjointed with it. Because they did make it up for this. So, he goes to that castle, and just like in this, he's like, no, I've only got a couple of days left, I have to get there. And he's like, no worries. It's just right up the road. You can rest here. You know, in a couple of days you can go there. And this also reminded me, what was the point of the blindfolded lady? That was weird. But that isn't the original. That was his mother. Huh? That was the mother. His mother? The Lord's mother? Whose mother? Yeah. Yeah, because remember how at the no, 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 no. At, at towards the beginning I'm 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 just saying whose mother is she is what uh, what I'm asking. Gawain's. Okay. I get that. I'm just saying in the movie it did not portray itself properly. And this is why mm. I don't think it plays out properly cuz now I understand more of what they were trying to do after I read the story. And this is why I don't think they succeeded in telling the story. So he goes there. And the guy's like, hey, every day I'm going to go out and I'm going to hunt. And when I come back, you can have you can have my hunt. But you have to give to me like what you earned in the day. And Gwen's like, that's weird, but cool. And so she goes and the wife tries to seduce him. And he's like, nope. 
none of that. And she goes, well, to not offend her, he does accept one single kiss. And so at the end of the day, the guy gives him like his hunt and Gwen kissed him. And then the next day, but he's like, he doesn't ever tell him why or what it's from or anything. He just gives him the kiss because that's what he earned that day. And then the second day comes, the woman tries to do it again. And he's like, nope, nope, we can't fuck. But gives him two kisses. And that day he gives the guy two kisses. And then it gets all the way to the third day where she tries to give him like, like tries to give him this golden ring. He's like, no, for sure I can't take that. Like, for sure, I can't, you know, take a ring from you and all this other stuff. But instead, she gives him a green sash that will protect him, which was also implied in all this other stuff. And that's where the green sash comes from and all this other stuff. And he does accept that. And she gives him three kisses. And so that later that day, when the guy comes, he gives him three kisses, but he does not mention the sash. And so then he leaves and he goes and he goes to the green knight. And the Green Knight swings his axe, and he does like scare away, just like he did in the movie. He's like, "Oh!" And he's like, the, "So the Green Knight makes fun of him." He's like, "Hey, little bitch, you flinched, just like he did in the movie." And then Gwen's like, "All right, I'm gonna do this." And so then the the guy swings his axe again, but he stops himself. The Green Knight stops himself, and Gwen's like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "Hey, I just want to make sure you weren't gonna flinch again." And then Gwen's like, "No, bro, let's do this." And so the Green Knight swings again for the third time and hits him. But all it does was leave one little tiny scratch on Gawain's neck. And Gawain's like, ha, I beat it. But then he goes, you know what? I'm being dishonest with you. So I have to tell you, I didn't get hurt because of this magic sash. And the Green Knight goes, well, thanks for being honest, bro. We're good. We're squared away. No big deal anymore. And then it turns out the Green Knight was the lord from that other castle that was bringing him in his hunt. He's like, it was me the whole time anyway. And Queen's like, what? So he even knew that he was getting the sash. He knew about the sash. And then the guy's like, guess what, bro? All this is because of your mom anyway. And Queen's like, what? And the guy's like, yeah. It's because your mom hates Arthur and she wants to tempt and humiliate all of his knights. So it wasn't that it originally was for him. It was actually meant for Arthur originally, but Gawain's the one that stepped up and did it anyway. Because Gawain was the youngest and bravest and most honorable of all the Arthurian knights at the time. So even in the original story, he was already a knight. And so all that happens and he goes back to Camelot. And he's, everybody's like, look, oh, you're alive, bro. And he's like, yeah. But just so you guys know, I had lied, but then I was honest. And everybody goes, you know what? We like that idea. So all the knights of the round table started to wear green sashes to show how important it was to be honest. The end. See, now there's your movie. I see that. See, when you explain that story, and maybe I should have read the story beforehand anyway, but that makes sense with some of the stuff they did now. But the thing about it is, unfortunately, 
that's not what I got from the movie, or I didn't understand what they were doing with it just on the movie alone. Okay. Well, that's uh, definitely interesting. Um, Honestly, when you were describing the the whole interaction with the Green Knight, I kind of like the way the movie did it better. <laughs> I like the, the just based on what you were saying and what happened in the film. I think that that was a a much more effective way that they did it um, in the film. And I don't know, man. It sounds like a completely different story from what the 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 movie was telling. What you described seems to have all these other different kind of like stories going into it. And like, it's more about all of this is happening because it links back to Arthur and stuff like that. And I think that this seemed like it seemed like what he did was he took like the the basic outlines of that story, certain events that happened in that story. But he made it more about this inner story, this kind of inner struggle of this person trying to find his honor, not just about um, him deciding to be honest after being dishonest or whatever that was. He just took that. I mean, it's kind of there, like based on what you described. But what he did with this is that he was like, what about what if I have him be start dishonorable? And then it's more of a journey to find that honor or become honorable in the same way that in that story you were describing he was honest and dishonest. Uh, so I'm not really sure what that proves other than it's just a different story from what was originally written. But I mean, any movie based on a book or adaptation, you know, I, I feel like with any of those things, there are going to be differences. And sometimes people go a completely different way with stuff, change it completely. But I still think it kind of captures the spirit of what happened. You know what I mean? Even though those events are different, you still have this person starting one way. In in what you read, he was dishonest and he wasn't being an honest person. And he winds up being an honest person and that shines through. Well, in this, he wasn't an honorable person worthy of being a knight. But by the end of it, he, he was. So... I don't know. I feel like I don't know if that's different enough to say I was wrong about anything. I was just more or less talking about this condensed narrative in the movie. Uh, Now, how it compares to the book or the poem and everything like that, uh, definitely it, it sounds a lot different from that. But I still think that the narrative and what the movie was trying to do, I still feel like for the most part, it accomplished what it was trying to do as far as this character's journey to find his honor. Well, the reason why I, I, I said I think your assertion was wrong was just on the fact that the mom meant the test for him. Maybe in the movie they did change that aspect. I was just saying from the source material, the test wasn't for him directly. Um, is my point with that. That's I, I guess I didn't make that part clear. That it was that part of it was what I was okay. talking about specifically. Um, now with all that. I think that what that proves to me, though, or at least makes me see more of, is the fact of why I felt this movie was disjointed and narratively a mess is because so much of it was liberties. You know what I mean? So much of it was liberties, and it was kind of like it was trying to have its cake and eat it, too. It was trying to show what Morgana was going to do. 
like that she had that kind of will to like to take down Arthur or whatever. And it was her plan and all this other stuff that she was the one behind it all. It wanted to have that part of the cake, but then it didn't want to actually say that was the case. It didn't want to actually show that was the case. It didn't want to commit to that. So it wanted to have the benefits of her being behind it, like all the aspects of it, including that one castle and everything without it being her doing it like it was in the traditional story. Like, that's why I think why I felt, I feel like it's so disjointed is they made so much of it up. It, to me, it kind of comes across why a lot of people had issues with later issues, like seasons of Game of Thrones. I didn't have those issues. A lot of other people did because they didn't have the book to follow. They were making more of it up. And when you have, when you're trying to take elements of something that is written and is a story and mix in so much other stuff that you're just kind of making up as you go. I mean, I know they wrote it out, but I'm just saying that they're adding to it to where if you're not that good of a writer, it doesn't always mesh that well. And I feel like that's the case in this because I did think the story was disjointed. Like I said, I didn't understand quite how the lessons played into the quest. That's because they weren't there. These were new lessons to be learned for this version of the quest that they changed. I think this movie would have benefited more if, not necessarily if it had stuck more to the original story, but I think what it could have made this more interesting and kind of maybe even sealed the point more of what you were talking about with Honor is if it had cut out some of the bullshit that they had at the, like earlier in the movie with the whole quest to find the woman's head and the giants and all this other bullshit. Have him just do some shit and he gets to that one part. And he gets to that castle and he learns that lesson and he goes to the Green Knight and you have this be about halfway through the movie. He does that whole thing with the Green Knight and then we go into what Justin called the bad video game ending and actually give us 30, 45 minutes of that bad video game ending. Like truly show the burden of the, the, the dishonesty or the, the dishonor, as you were saying. You know what I mean? Really lay that out thick and then have him take the sash off and his head falls off. And then it goes back and he's like, bam, he's at the green night. And he's like, you know what? I've got this. This isn't the right thing. I need to take this off. And that's when the green knight goes, you're all right, man. And does the fake stuff. You know what I mean? I think that that would have been yeah. more compelling. Because that would play more into you giving it those liberties instead of where they yeah. put their liberties into it. Yeah. And honestly, I was just hoping for a nice uh, sword fight. <laughs> that too. It needed a goddamn sword fight. You were 100% right, Heather. It needed a sword fight so fucking bad. I guess I'm on the other side of that, man. I liked the way that this was done. I like the differences that they made to make it more of an inner struggle than an outer one, you know? So to me, I just think that this was effective. I didn't feel the, the, the disjointedness that you felt. Now there were some things that weren't explained. Like there were some things that I wish had a little bit more explanations and different things like that. Um, as far as the motive of, um, his mom, Morgana, whatever, 
you don't, it's not really clear what the motive is. So that's why it's hard for me to say, like, it's not clear if her motive was she was doing this to try to get at Arthur. I don't think I can say that. The way it came off in the movie to me was it was a mom setting up, using her witchcraft to set up this trial. And her son was either going to pass that trial and earn this knighthood and be this honorable knight or he was going to fail. But either way, he was. I'm setting up the game so he can play it is what I felt like this movie was doing, you know, which is a lot different than her setting it up. But really, there's this backstory of Arthur and all that. None of that was in the movie. So I can't really assume that was what they were trying to do, but they were trying to changing to do it their own way or, 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 or much of the things that you insinuated. For me, just looking at this self-contained narrative, his mom set this up, set this game up. Her son was going to play the game and he was either going to win or he was going to lose. And in the end, you know, in the midnight hour, he realized what it took to get this and he won. And that's sort of how I saw the movie. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that version would have been better, but it feels like something that would have been better for like if they were really trying to match or make it a, a lot like the Arthurian legend. But clearly this director had a different vision. He wanted to use the elements of the Arthurian legend, but tell a more reflective inner struggle story. And I think he did that, which is another reason why you didn't really have um, a a, a sword fight, because the sword he was clashing with was himself and trying to, you know, the, the, the clash in this is an inner clash, which is what most people go to when they're trying to, you know, when you're trying to get from one thing to another, that that is most of the time, the struggle that we do go through. It's an inner struggle. You know, not all of us are going to be sword fighting, but we all go through, you know, those inner struggles. Like, you know, what is it going to take for me to become this person? Or I want to be this person. How much discipline do I need to have? I want this in my life. How can I attain that? What do I need to do to attain it? And what needs to happen for me to get to that point? I think that the inner struggle is more relatable. And maybe that's why. I connected more with this and wouldn't change it, but you know, that's just me. The only thing with that is like, I would argue that the mom going to these links and all this stuff to teach her son that lesson almost to me would feel like cheating because you're having to use magic and all these other things to alter perceptions and do all this stuff to more or less to trick your son into learning these lessons. That to me screams that that's a little dishonest and dishonorable with it. I understand that, you know, she was just using the tools in which she had, but it's still just, that seems a little off. Plus that puts so much up to chance because when that green knight shows up, She's really hedging her bets that her son, who hasn't shown any honor or anything at that point, is the one to take up the challenge. You know, 
that seemed like that's risky for that to be the point to me. And maybe t- to me, that's why I don't see that as being her goal. It's just what her goal became once he was the one that had to do the quest. Like her motivations changed once he was the one that had to do it. So that's why she, you know, did all this stuff to like help him or aid him or to do all these things while he was on the journey. Because I know the fox was her. I do, I do like remember that part that like the fox was her. That voice that the fox did when it was speaking to him at the end was very much her voice and stuff. And so those aspects of it, I understood like to be used in that way, like that you could argue that point. It's just, I don't, I don't think the movie did a good enough job at the beginning to say that that was her goal to begin with. And maybe would be more of like, I don't want to say wishful thinking, but because you were of of what you were talking about, how like you would handle certain situations or whatever that that would kind of speak more to you just from that. I don't think the movie did a clear job of saying that though. And also I do have one very important question. What happened to his sword that he had? Because he very much used it to cut the rope off of his hand when he was like tied up and then the sword just disappears for the rest of the movie. I really want to know what happened to his sword because a good knight That's would not true. lose his sword like that. That is true. Yeah. Cause he cut his uh, hand on it. Um, the only thing I could assume about that is that because all of this, cause you got to keep in mind that a lot of this is being manipulated by magic. So, I mean, you know, he woke up and the ax was there. So, I mean, Perhaps it was just another part of the game. Just get rid of everything else and, you know, we're going to give him the axe back and see how he progresses through this game. So whenever there's magic and witchcraft and stuff like that, I mean, anything could have been taken away from him at any given time. What he was seeing was all of these different things, manipulations that were happening with witchcraft. So, um... I mean, at any given time, she could have easily just taken that from him. So, you know, you I know would what? just chalk it up to that. I don't disagree with that. I think that that is very possibly something that could have been the case. I just feel like if it was, they should have had a scene about like him freaking out that he didn't have a sword or something where it kind of just like made note of why the sword was no longer there. But I don't disagree, Jason. I think that's very possibly what that could have been. Yeah, that aspect would make sense to me. Whereas in the movie, it felt like they forgot he had a sword. Yeah, that's because they didn't really. I felt show. With that. Yeah, because I would think that, like, yeah, he got the axe back, but I don't even think he had the sword whenever he made it to that woman's house. Like, I literally think the way the movie like framed it is he cut his hand on it when he was cutting the rope. And then it's almost like he went, man, fuck you, sore. You cut me. I'm leaving you here. Is how it ended up feeling to me. And I would, to me, that would make sense. Like the way you said it, where he, like he had the ax now and all this other stuff. He didn't necessarily need the sword anymore or something like that. Or maybe it was magically taken away from him. But I'm just saying, if I had just gotten beat up by a bunch of little kids, and I only escaped because they had left my sword behind. I'd be very much wanting my sword with me. 
even when I got the axe. Mm. Because, you know, fighting with an axe, because the whole point is you would need a weapon to protect yourself. And I know he didn't necessarily need that on this journey. But you're still going on a journey. You don't know what you're going to run into. You might need something, you know? So even with having the axe, fighting with an axe and fighting with a, a sword is two totally different disciplines. You know, typically in those days, like, you weren't like training with the axe and then training with this and training with that. You kind of had your specialty. I'm not saying that that's 100% defined or anything like that. I'm just saying it wouldn't make sense for him to abandon his sword for the axe because he wouldn't necessarily know how to fight with an axe, especially one like that. So in my head, it would make sense for him to want his sword, you know, and that would be a vital part of something he would feel he would need, especially when he just got beat up. He just got beat up. He would want everything. He, you would think he would mentally want everything he could use to his advantage at that point because he needed something just in case. Yeah. Okay. Maybe in the lorry cut, <laughs> we'll find out what happens <laughs> to the sword. There better not be another cut of this movie. Because I don't see how <laughs> you could look at this movie and it not be the director's cut. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this very much feels like a writer-director movie. It just feels like that. Anyway, you guys ready to move on to the next one? Yeah. Yep. Continue this A24 train of rolling. All right, so we're going to talk about the movie In Fabric. It came out in what, 2018, something like that? 2017, 2018, yeah. 2019? Some year that was before 2020. <laughs> 2018. There we go. New is one of those. All right, so we're going with the 2018 movie in Fabric, also made by A24. We are going to do just like we always do, spoiler-free recommendations and scores, and then into our more spoiler-centric section. Let's change it up a little bit. Heather, what are your thoughts about in Fabric? (laughs) Yeah, and so just some background on this. We had a specific recommendation that someone asked us to uh, watch this and review it. So that's, that's why we did. (laughs) Um, But my thoughts, um, this one is, Oh, this is, this is a tough one. Um, I, I, I did not like it at all. (laughs) It was really hard to get through this movie. Um, it is, it's weird, and I, I understand, like, this isn't giving anything away, but I understand that it, it's set in a different, like, time. It's not current day, because they don't have, like, cell phones and things like that. I don't know if they specifically said when that was supposed to be, if, and if I missed that, but I know it's supposed to be set in, like, a different time period. Um, but I feel like just the quality of the movie was not really up to par with what we've seen with A24. And I also don't know if that was an artistic choice or if that was just the budget. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly can't tell at this point. Um, but I, I just, I didn't like it. There, It was a bunch of nothingness. Like, the main point of this movie is supposed to be about a dress that is cursed, that's kind of passed between a few different people. But I just feel like there's so much in it that is so 
confusing or just doesn't make sense or is unnecessary and dumb. Like, no offense, but dumb. It's it's just very, um, it, it is not good. It is not quality. There's nothing quality about the film. The story isn't even really quality. Um, it's really just, it's one of those where I, I'm surprised, and I don't know why I'm surprised by it, but I am surprised that it's an A24 film. Just because of the ones in recent memory that I can think of, even around that time, I'm like, okay. And then I see this and I'm just like, what happened here? This feels so, as far as quality, as far as just, I, I feel like it's so different. A very different like vibe about it altogether. Um, I didn't enjoy it. I was confused. I was cringed out. I was, uh, yeah, just kind of like this is dumb altogether, mostly. Um, it was, I do like, uh, Marianne Jean Baptiste, who is the probably primary character for most of this movie. And, um, it was kind of interesting to see, uh, Gwendolyn Christie in something else. And, um, that's, you know, I mean, it was, that's all I got. I can't even say like, oh, it's either one of their best performances in any sort of way, but this movie was a mess. This movie was ridiculous. This movie, the idea of this movie is just very simple and weird, but you could see the potential they had with what they could have done with some of the stuff. And it just completely failed all around. There was just, it was just absolute nonsense. That's my thoughts on it. Who was Gwendolyn Christie in this movie? She's the brunette. She was the son's girlfriend. Oh, fuck. That was her, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. No she looks shit. super different. No idea that was her. Yeah. Huh. She actually looks really good with dark hair. But yeah, that was her. It was dark hair and it was longer. Yeah, and I, maybe I just didn't. I didn't remember really seeing seeing her like standing compared to someone. Yeah, and then maybe so I would have. <laughs> that is true because she's either sitting or something most of the yeah. time, um, or she's, she's standing wearing alone. Makeup, you know. Yeah, and so when you're standing alone, there's no perspective to someone else. Yeah, and she's wearing makeup in it too, which yeah. she doesn't do. And well, like you were saying her name, and I'm like. No, I would have recognized her because she's taller than everybody. <laughs> right. Oh, go fucking figure. That went right yeah. over my head. Oh. Well, some days you learn shit. All right, Justin, go. <laughs> All right. Man, this, this is a tough one for me because there are things about this that I really, 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 really liked. And then there are things where I'm like, okay, I don't think that that quite worked or I don't think that I, or it felt like they was trying to get a laugh and I didn't laugh or, you know, not everything landed in this movie, but for the most, but for a lot of it though, I did appreciate the ambition. I did appreciate kind of, uh, just, a <laughs> just a very odd kind of peculiar story the, the this totally felt like this could be a tales from the crypt episode or something that's what this felt right. like there's a, a a red dress that that somehow has some sort of demonic 
um, entity or powers or something like that, and it's going to run amok in these people's lives. That sounds like the recipe for a Tales from the Crypt episode. You know, I alluded to uh, in the horror podcast about how every now and then we would get a movie where a random thing is killing people. And then lo and behold, here comes this. Um, (laughs) And and it's about this red dress. Uh, And yes, yes, on the surface, this is about a... A red dress, a demonic red dress that runs amok with people on the surface. But there is, but on, but below that, beneath the surface, it's a story about consumerism. It's a story about how, how consumers are consumed, how capitalism and how like, our system, especially when it comes to like what we buy and things like that and how it relates to our self-esteem, how we see ourselves, how we live our lives and different things like that. It's about how your consumerism consumes you as a person. That's ultimately what this is. That's what it's really about. That's the inner kind of meaning in the story. And when the film is focused on doing stuff for that, I think it totally works. Like, I went, whenever it was doing things to represent that message, oh, it was great. Like, like there are parts of this that I do think are very, like, reflective and very profound in just how, and there was one scene in particular, I was like, what a wonderful scene that was. And then it followed it up with something dumb. And I'd be like, oh, why'd you do that? And so this movie was both like, so in this movie, there were parts where I was frustrated with it. Like, no, why? That, that was a bad decision. And then there were parts to where I was like, yes, yes, man, this is, th- 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 that, that was good. And so I'm kind of left kind of. Uh, in the middle, you know, I'm kind of in the middle and we'll see where my score lands. I'm still kind of juggling in my head at the moment, but that's what I felt like. I felt like there there was a great movie in here and then in an attempt to be so weird and out there and stuff like that, it, it didn't quite land when it was trying to be just so weird and eccentric, but it did land when it was trying to be an allegory for consumerism. So I, I don't know, man. I feel like it's going to all fall on how you feel about the kooky stuff that happens in it, like the weird kind of eccentric stuff that happens in it. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, the, that's kind of where I fall with this, man. Like it, it is half of the parts of it and half of it is like brilliant. And then the other half is like, man, he should have they, they just should have made some better decisions with some things. So ultimately, you kind of have a mixed bag. And I guess what you connect with more is going to determine on where you fall with it, ultimately. So to answer one of your points earlier, Heather, uh, this movie takes place, I want to say, in the 70s. It's going to be the 60s or 70s. It's most likely the 70s. And it was intentionally shot to look like a movie of that time period. Okay. So I think that that is a lot 
of what you were talking about with the aesthetic not typically being on par with an A24 movie. But yeah, as an artistic choice, I mean, that is cool that they did it that way. I was just not sure because (laughs) you know what I mean? No, no, I completely agree. And on that, for that reason, though, once again, I will say stylish as fuck because I think it 100% succeeds at capturing the visual representation or the visual concept or visual idea, however you want to word it, of a 1970s horror film. Yeah. That's yeah. True. Even down to some of the sound effects yeah. and the music. The so, music, yeah. the sound effects. Those that is true. trippy fucking visuals of it going to negatives with the neon accents and all that shit. That was like peak 1970s special effects and shit. You know, I think it very much does a great job of that. And it very much has the story of a 1970s horror film. I understand what you were talking about, Justin, with the whole allegory for uh, consumerism. I think it, to me, does a poor job of of doing that because I think that the only scene that truly drives that home is when there's that random old guy. And this isn't a spoiler because it's just a random spiller scene, but it's the old guy when he walks up to the main woman character at the beginning or not the beginning, but the, the main character from the beginning, which uh, whatever. And he's like, Oh, is this not your idea of a great shopping experience or however the fuck he words it? He, he words it in stupid ways. He's talking about yeah. like, is this not how you, you what you expect from a shopping experience and all this shit? Very much it about being the whole consumerism thing. That's where I think it kind of drives it home. And then her meetings with her bosses and talking about like the business structure and all this other shit. That part, yeah, the, definitely those, like those and all that stuff. It, it drives home that aspect of it, and I totally get that. I think the movie did a poor job of doing that because while this movie looks, feels, sounds everything like a 1970s horror like movie it also brings back the worst aspects of those movies especially when they typically deal with like devil or cult like shit because typically they end up just throwing random bullshit in there because they're like we don't need an explanation. It's devil shit. Like this is just some devil cult shit. (laughs) And they do that so much in this movie. This movie is filled to the brim with random devil cult bullshit scenes that are just jarring at times. Sometimes they hit that right nostalgic note. Because I get it. I love this one 1970s movie called The Sentinel. And I made Justin watch it once, and our good friend Devin, I made him watch it. And if I remember, I know Devin didn't like it. And if I'm remembering correctly, I don't think you did either, Justin. Yeah, I don't believe so. It's a very weird movie. And it hits, to me, just the right devil cult notes. It's not filled to the brim with them. It's just got enough. And there's a movie like we talked about before. Uh, what was it called? The Devils. Um, kind of along the same lines on that. 
A lot of devil cult shit. And so when you get into these devil cult movies, they do those weird fucking scenes that just are nonsense, but they're hypersexualized with non-sexualized things. Mm-hmm. And this movie just goes a little too far with that at times. I am typically probably the most sex positive person on this podcast. Try not to kink shame any of that. What you into is what you into. Rock it. As long as it's all consenting adult shit. Consenting adult shit, fucking do whatever you want. No problems here. Or if it's just you and an inanimate object, do whatever the fuck you want. They get super weird with some shit in this, though. Yep. And it, it to me, it was just done for bullshit shock value. I think the story's yeah. a mess. Once again, and like I said, it's A24 syndrome. Beautifully shot, because like I said, capturing that, like, they use the practical effects a lot of the times with the dress, too, to make the dress move. It was obviously just being pulled by a string or pulled somebody off frame. I appreciated that because I feel like they did so much of this like they would have done in the 70s. And I appreciate the fuck out of that. But in doing so, they focused so much on that and focused. They wanted, you know, they wanted it to look and feel and everything like a 1970s horror film. They wanted it you know, it was acted like a 1970s film, which to me shows how good these actors are. Because that's I, true. I would argue a modern day actor would have a hard time acting like they did back then. Because I, maybe this is controversial, but acting used to suck. <laughs> All these people that so many people are like, oh my God, they're an amazing actor. No, they sucked. Most of them sucked. They did the same thing in every fucking movie they ever did. Every once in a while, you got some groundbreaking acting performances. Like, what's his name from fucking Psycho? Uh, Perkins, right? Is it Perkins? What can I not I'm think forgetting. of his name? Anyway, you know, the guy from Psycho. Um, yeah. Uh, some of the movies Humphrey Bogart did. Some of the stuff Audrey Hepburn did. Like, I love Audrey. Audrey is just a timeless classic to me. Audrey be Audrey and in a lot of movies, though, if I'm honest. <laughs> I just like Audrey. So when she's Audrey and around on screen, I think it's delightful. Because I like her. So I give credit to these actors. Because they were able to make it feel like a 1970s film with slightly more modern acting techniques, if you will. You know, these people kind of did a better job of, I don't know, embodying their characters. And I, so I appreciate that. And I think just like in Green Knight, and just like in Midsummer, and just like Hereditary, they did all of that at the sacrifice of the story. I, I see what Justin was saying with the the morality tale of consumerism. And it was there, Justin. I agree. It was there. And I think they almost could have done some really cool and interesting and deep shit with that. 
but I think they got lost in the idea of their we need to do 70s bullshit demon cult shit. I said shit way too many times, way too close together. <laughs> but I feel like they they got in over their head with that again. They lost like essentially they lost the tree through the woods. They were so consumed with this other shit, they lost the vision. Although I do think that Marianne uh, Jean-Baptiste, I think that she was definitely the better part of this movie as far as performance-wise. Which one was she? I just The the main lady, the first lady that, that bought the dress. Oh, no, she was great. Yeah. I mean, she's great in a lot of things, but I just feel like she made the movie a little bit more bearable for me. I, I totally get what you guys are saying, too. And now that we're talking about it, and and maybe that's it. Like, I didn't know what to expect from this movie, like, at all. I didn't even watch the trailer for this movie. I didn't know what to expect from it. So I think that it was just jarring that it felt so very old school. And I was like, wait, but this is like a newer movie. And this is, you know, so talking about it, you guys are absolutely right. Like, what they did with it was genius. And I guess I should have seen that being what it was. Because, I mean, Gwendolyn Christie is great. She's a great actress. But in this, I'm like, that's why I didn't know it was her. Because I was like, oh, that was her? Like, so you guys are absolutely right. But I think it was just so jarring for me. Because I didn't know that that's really what was happening with this movie. Or what they were trying to go for with it. So, um, I, it was just kind of jarring. I was like, this is an A24 movie of recent time. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. But yeah, it just, and then I was just like, but A24 would be doing like that artistic thing of like, they just wanted it to look like that for a reason. And that's why I was like, I don't know if it's the artistic choice or if it was just low budget, maybe. But yeah, so that's, that's why it just kind of jar, it was jarring for me because I wasn't sure what to expect at all going into this movie. But you guys are right. Yeah, it definitely has that old school vibe of movies from back in the day. So yeah. Oh, and there's one other major, major fucking problem I have with this movie that I cannot say at this section. I have to wait for spoilers, unfortunately. And that sucks. You know what also sucks? I own this movie. That sucks. (laughs) Because I bought it because you're like, Oh, my friend recommended this. And then I was like, Oh, let me check out the synopsis. And I was like, oh, this sounds ridiculous. And then we were like, oh, but apparently it's good. So then I was like, well, I'll buy it then. And then we're now we're doing this episode and shit. Man, I own it. I shouldn't buy a movie without watching the trailer. I should have at least watched the trailer. But I own it now. <laughs> oh, I am so financially irresponsible. Anyway, uh, recommendations of scores? Yeah. Yep. Recommendations and score. All right, hit us, Justin. Yeah, this is um, I just think that this is kind of one of those, and it's listed as a horror comedy. So, I mean, <laughs> I definitely laughed at some parts. Wait, I don't know if I was supposed to be laughing, wait, but wait, wait, this was supposed to be funny. Yeah. It's a horror comedy, man. I, I understand what you just said when you were like, I laughed at parts. I don't know if I was supposed to. That's what I did. But I was yeah. totally <laughs> like, I'm not supposed to be laughing. 
I never felt like I was supposed to laugh in this movie, but I did. You know what I mean? Like, I never felt like they were going, this is going to make them laugh. So here's the scene. You know what I mean? But I did laugh. Oh, really? Oh, there were definitely some parts where I felt like they were going for laughs. Really? They were just doing some cheesy Usually the like... two management guys were kind of funny, but yeah. No, yeah, I just, I, I but... honestly thought they just kind of sucked at their job and made a bunch of unintentionally funny <laughs> scenes. That's what I thought mm. they were doing. I did not, I did not get the impression any of it was intentional. I mean... That's true. Technically, IMDb says it's comedy, fantasy, horror, mystery. I was, whoa. My mind is blown. <laughs> I seriously did not know that was one of the genres this movie was going for. Wow. Same. I'm sorry, Justin. That just, wow. Okay. Um, but, well, but what I was saying is that um, like it's listed as a horror comedy and there were definitely some parts where I laughed. And then there were some parts where I was like, was that supposed to, am I supposed to be laughing at this or is this supposed to be creepy? You know, there are definitely some parts like that too, but I mean, I don't know. I did find it entertaining to say the least. I wasn't bored. I wasn't sitting there going, um, man, this is just draining me or I didn't fall asleep on it. I mean, there's enough here that at least kept my attention. You know what I mean? I didn't agree with every decision, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in detail. Like, there were some things that could have been done better, but I don't know, man. Like, I I appreciate how unique this is. Like, because it is very unique. Like, very unique from horror comedies that I've seen before. You know, and it's got like a vintage feel. And there's definitely, like you guys pointed out, some vintage acting and stuff like that. And all of that, I think, it did nail what it was supposed to be visually and stuff like that. And man, I guess, like I said, I am that person on this podcast, man. I'm a sucker for the allegory stuff, man. I like the deeper meaning stuff. I'm that, that's who I am, man. So I was drawn to that. And every time I saw, examples of that i really loved what i was watching uh i didn't care so much for the eccentric stuff all the time and like the weird out there kind of stuff which i think would definitely be off-putting for some people there's a scene in particular where i laughed at it but i don't imagine a lot of people would laugh at the scene like i did so uh and i'll talk about that a little bit too but i'm sure like, we're all uh, talking about the same one yep yeah, probably so. But uh yeah, um I, that just <laughs> and some of the facials they were making, that was hilarious to me. But like I don't know if it was supposed to be. I think it was trying to creep me out or gross me out, but I, I laughed hysterically at that part. But anyway, um like so I don't know, man. Like I think if you do watch this, you know, the, you might have some fun with it, depending on what kind of person you are. You know, you might laugh at some of the stuff, man. Like, if you like that vintage horror type stuff, you might be feeling this, man. If you were like, if you like the when Tales from the Crypt would just, or some random TV show you were watching, a Twilight Zone or whatever, would tell those wild, crazy stories about something randomly doing something. I don't know, man. You might like this. So... I mean, that that's kind of where I feel about it. I mean, ultimately for a score, though, I do feel that 
the story was a little disjointed. There are some narrative choices that they didn't make. And see, this I felt like was disjointed and was messy at parts. Didn't feel that way at all about the Green Knight. Green Knight is just a straightforward guy goes on quest, guy gets the end of quest. That 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 was a straightforward narrative. This though, like I do think was disjointed and I think there was a better way to formulate the scenes and do this um to, to where it would have been a lot better. So it is a messy narrative. I will give you that. But I think it looks good. I think that it's got a vintage kind of horror feel. And I love the allegory about consumerism. I think it absolutely nails that. And there are plenty of scenes where I think it does get that point across. And uh, so I found it kind of reflective in the end. So with all that being said, uh, I guess we'll go, I'll almost give it 60. We'll, we'll go 59. Uh, we'll go 59. Um Man, there are so many scenes. Do I want to say this or not? <laughs> if you don't say it, I'm sure my fucking score is going to have it. So you might as well say it. I've got a backup. Okay. Okay. My score is going to be all 59 vaginal hairs on a mannequin out of 100. <laughs> the funniest thing about it is it makes it sound like you paused it and counted. I know, that's why I laughed. <laughs> uh, Heather, go. So, in talking about this now, I'm going to change my tone a little bit, but just a little bit. And and just to clarify, like I am someone who does enjoy deeper meanings of movies, but for whatever reason, just because of all the other things they had going on in this movie, I guess I just didn't get what their point was they were trying to make with it the way that you did, Jason. But, um you know, so I just, I, they just had a lot of, I think what, yeah, Sterling said it with, you know, the, just the shock value. I think that the, the message of the consumerism mixed with the like satanic stuff, like I'm, I'm not quite sure how they were trying to mix those things. I just, the disjointed is correct. I think that's absolutely what this movie was. Um, and it just, it didn't do it for me because I, was just weirded out by a lot of this movie. <laughs> but I think that in discussing it and realizing now after having seen it and talking about it, that they were trying to go for that old school style and kind of make it feel like a movie from back in the seventies or whatever time period. I, I, I accept it a little bit more for what it is now realizing that um but i still just didn't like it i didn't like the story i didn't like how they broke up certain parts of the story um it was just yeah it it was just a little bit too uh just too many things about it that made me weirded out more than anything so it was just more weird for me than good or bad i guess but um, I lean more definitely towards the bad just because I just, I don't like how they tried to execute this story. So I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with 40 um, dresses floating above the bed to smother you. 
or to get ready to smother you out of a hundred. Um, Heather, what was your friend's name that recommended this movie? Mike. All right. No, I don't recommend it at all. At all. I I like nineteen seventies horror movies. I kind of get what Jason's trying to say with this kind of being like Tales from the Crypt in a way, just for the sheer fact that apparently it was supposed to be a horror comedy, which is very much what Tales from the Crypt more aligns itself with. I didn't get that at all, though. Um, Because I really like... I like some of those cheesy-ass fucking horror comedies and shit that are just super cheesy. Like, I'm not ashamed to admit within the past couple of months I have watched Tales from the Crypt Demon Night I am also not afraid to admit that later that night I followed that up with Bordello of Blood (laughs) but where I think this movie fails is it doesn't make me want to watch it whenever I want to watch apparently something that's supposed to be funny in a horror movie but it also doesn't make me want to watch this if I'm feeling kind of nostalgic or the 1970s style of a horror film. I'd much rather watch the good ones that were made then that I like more. There's this one that's called Changeling. Oh, it's delightful. You might not like it, especially if you don't like Sentinel. They're very much along the same lines with a lot of that stuff, but God, I love that movie. And I love Sentinel. I might watch Sentinel tomorrow. Might be on our TikTok tomorrow. Nope. Nope. For you guys tomorrow. Maybe Sunday. Maybe Sunday's TikTok review from Cinema Slayers Podcast, will be The Sentinel. I fucking love that. Or it might be any of the Tales from the Crypt, because now I want to watch those too. Gaston, you've made me want to watch a lot of movies in this episode. Where I do kind of like this movie at times because of its stylistic choices and all this other stuff, I think it falls off the rails too fucking much. And without spoiling anything, there's two fucking kind of mini-movies in this. I don't necessarily like that fucking yeah. choice with it either. Um, so with all that, and it, like I said, my biggest issue, while it's all stylish and all this other stuff, is it's disjointed. And I do agree, Justin. This is infinitely more disjointed than Green Knight was. And I thought, oh, 100%. I thought Green Knight was hella disjointed. And this is worse. So for that, I'm giving this a six. Six fuck you mics out of a hundred. <laughs> oh, and in case I didn't actually specify, I do not recommend the movie, but go ahead. <laughs> Most people don't recommend a movie they give a 40 to. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> As somebody that has been a professional low score giver on this podcast, typically <laughs> means you don't re- like it. Or you don't I'm just saying, I didn't, I didn't say the words. Yes or no. So I wanted to just clarify. So, okay, you can proceed now. Fair enough. Fair enough. Spoilers? Yeah. Yeah. Spoilers. Holy creepy old men masturbating to women sensually bathing a mannequin, Batman. Mm hmm. Yeah. That's the, the one. Fuck was that scene? Yeah. Man, I laughed. I laughed so hard, man. God. I was just <laughs> the faces on that man, dude. Like that, it, it broke <laughs> me, man. I just was laughing so hard, man, at that part, dude. Like, 
Well, because at oh the time, God, people I'm like, who is this guy? But yeah. That's what yeah, fucked I was me like, with it. What is he? Is he a vampire? Is he a, like, at first I was like, I couldn't figure out what he was. Is he like the, like, you know, I, I didn't know if they were witches. I didn't know what exactly they were at first. So I was like, okay, well, is he a vampire? Is he a, a like a sorcerer? You know, I, at first I didn't really know what he was, but man, those faces he would make, man, he was cracking me up. But anyway, you go ahead. I get why you laughed at it, Justin. But I was so surprised by that scene. Well, not that scene, that old man. That like when he came on, I was like, what the fuck is he doing? And then they're just keep centrally washing it. And then they expose the random mannequin pubic hair. And then he just starts stroking his dick. And I was like, wait a second. What did I miss? Because <laughs> who the fuck is this guy just masturbating to them doing this? So I rewound it. Yeah, exactly. Because I thought I I'm missed like, something. Where did he come from? I was like, was I, did I just space out and miss the introduction of this old guy? So I like rewound it like five minutes and I'm watching and I'm like, nope, nope, this, this is the introduction to this guy. It's just him masturbating all creepy like and shit. And then like, then the mannequin randomly starts bleeding from their, the, the, the mannequin yep. vagina mm-hmm. when he orgasms and all the shit. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> And I rewound it again. It was so cringe. But I went back yeah. like 10 minutes. Because I seriously was like, no. What the fuck set this up that I missed? And I, I went did the exact back, same thing. And I'm watching yeah. like 10 minutes before. <laughs> and then it happens again. And I'm like, nope. There's just no rhyme or reason to this. I might as well just let it play out now. Because <laughs> maybe they'll explain it afterwards. And we are now sitting here, what? A few hours after I witnessed the scene, and I still have no fucking rhyme or reason why it happened. I'm still waiting for this movie to tell me what that was. Yep. I mean, I, I was, did that too. I was like, wait, let me rewind. Did I miss something here? What is this? The first, I don't know what, two thirds of the movie when it's the one woman story, I was actually totally on board with it. With the exception of the weird, creepy devil cult people. Outside of their random scenes, just to be like, yep, they's a devil cult. I was very into it. I liked what was happening. I was very intrigued by the story. Until she gets, I don't know, road murdered by mannequins. I also didn't understand the random obsession with mannequins in this movie. I understand that's what the clothes go on at the store, but they just did so many random scenes with mannequins. You know, they did those random scenes where it's like, well, like still shots of London and then just mannequin Mm -hmm. hand and then just moved on. I'm like, what the fuck was that? What is this transition? Like, are they trying to pause it that in the seventies instead of like where you would hit the button and it would do a star wipe, you would hit the button and it would do a mannequin hand wipe. Like, they fucking use that as transitions sometimes. And it's not even like they used it in a very specific way that made you feel like it was like, oh, this was it used in. And it, like, it, it kind of highlights something. Nope. It would just randomly, 
like every 8.2 transitions, it would do a mannequin hand one. No fucking yep. sense. Like, just so many weird things. Like, like I said, why was the last third of the movie a different couple? What did that add to the story? Like, different people. What did that add to the story? Doing that transition at that time. I could understand if you wanted to show the effect, like what we talked about earlier, maybe the effect on consumerism, and show it across multiple people. Cool. Then don't have two-thirds of it be about one woman and her family, and then the last third about something else or someone else. Break it up into smaller segments with the common theme being that. Don't go that far into the movie and then go, nah, that story's done. Here's another one. Like that. Yeah, that was a mistake. Because it wasn't even halfway. It was way more than halfway through. That's what makes no sense about it. It wasn't a good story. The second story, I didn't care about at all. But maybe if they had done it in like half hour transitions and done like over the two hours, done like four different stories with the dress. And that over four different couples or people or whatever, you know what I mean? Do it that way or every 15 or 20 yeah. minutes. Like, tell more of them then if you want to show it affect more people. Or at least if you want to tell the two stories, cut it in half. You don't do two thirds and then a third. Because in a three act structure, which is what this still move, the overall movie still follows that, you've got a three act structure for the first two acts and you've got another three act structure. In the last act of this movie. Because the overall movie. Still follows three act structure. And it's weird. And it makes it feel incomplete. And it also makes you. Not care about. Any of the people in the last third of the movie. And so. It makes it even more go. Why? And then the end of the movie. Like. (laughs) I don't know like. That guy got killed by a commercial. Like, I understand it was technically the gas leak because they, you know, they set that whole thing up ever so, you know, eloquently, if you want to call it that. But then he just like dies while watching a commercial. I understand it's the whole like the whole like fascination with consumerism and like watching the commercial and all this other shit. But then at the same time, it's just kind of dumb, especially when his wife is like going through all that shit there, and then. That department store just turns into fucking, what, Battle Royale? Like, it turned into a fucking game session of Fortnite. It was just bonkers. Hmm. I will say this. The one time I thought that maybe they were trying to be funny, but then I also thought was unintentionally funny, was at the end of the movie, when the the cult lady is going down the the dumbwaiter or whatever, and... Every time it shows like one somebody making a red dress, and it'd go back to her, she was making another like a different dumb face. Mm-hmm. And she just kept changing her dumb face. <laughs> I just yeah, I was hoping that was intentional, but at the same time, with <laughs> as much as the rest of the movie had gone, I did I didn't give it credit for it. I was like, nope, they probably didn't even realize what they did. Right. But then also. Why were they all making red dresses at the end? That didn't make any sense to me. Because the whole point of it was it was the one red dress. And that it was an evil red dress yep. that you couldn't destroy. So, like, why were they all making red dresses? Why wouldn't they just show them making random dresses? 
Also, why did that lady save the mannequin at the end? Was that because that was the one mannequin she had a weird sexual relationship with? And she didn't want to end that relationship yet? Because that was weird. Yeah. Like, this movie's weird obsession with mannequins was weird. I just, there were so many, like, weird decisions they did in this. And like I said, and maybe it's because of, like, time passing and all this other stuff. I'm really kind of tired of these movies. I'm really kind of tired of the, like, there being, like, a satanic element or a ritualistic aspect. Maybe that's it, the ritualistic aspect of it. Because, like I said, it plays into a fear that's not really grounded in reality, that was grounded in urban legend that I think keeps expanding upon that and doesn't allow the urban legend to die, which causes more people to believe crazier things as time goes on because they connect it back to shit that wasn't real and all this other stuff. And it, it creates this weird social dichotomy that I fucking hate. And I get it. Yeah. Not enough people are going to watch in fabric to truly like have that happen to them or whatever. But at the same time, because of all this other bullshit, I'm kind of just tired of seeing it. Plus, it's not like it hasn't been a common theme in movies like this since the 1970s. So we're already going on in like 40 plus years of this bullshit. And I understand it's very much a personal preference, but at the same time, I can't discredit that aspect of myself and how it made me feel whilst watching this movie. And I'm still slightly creeped out about that one scene because part of me feels like that old man really did masturbate to Climax. Because I don't feel like he was a good enough actor to fake that. (laughs) And I'm now kind of wondering if I watched a man masturbate. (laughs) Uh, Heather, go. No, I agree. Um, Yeah, I I just, I feel like also that second story that they tell, which is the guy who, who gets the dress and everything. I wasn't invested in that story because of the fact that they didn't do as much of it anyway as the first storyline. But that entire thing, I just, I wasn't interested really in what was going on there. And also I didn't quite understand the whole, like him being able to hypnotize people when he talked about like fixing washer and dryer stuff. Like I, what was that? I don't understand what that was supposed to be about. Like that was just weird to me. And they emphasized it a lot of times. Oh, yeah, I got no idea on that one either. I forgot about that part. You're right. And I was just like, I mean, is this supposed to be part of like something that the dress did? Like, I just, I honestly had no idea what that had to do with anything. Um, but I do, when Jason mentioned some of the funny parts of it, I do actually think that those two guys that were like the management or the whatever guys they were that spoke to, both people in the story, like I did actually think they were kind of funny with some of the stuff that they said. I think they were a little bit humorous. Like when he's saying like, Oh yeah, they're hiring at this like place. And he's like, Oh, well they're actually, you know, he's missing. So they're trying to find him. So they haven't really posted for his job. Like just that whole conversation. And like, just, I feel like some of the stuff they did was kind of funny. Um, as much as like, I, I'm not completely sure if they were supposed to be um, like in on some of the, you know, like 
dark, demonic, witchcraft elements of things um, or not, but just like the whole, you know, was able to tell like, oh, you're having dreams. Tell us about these dreams. Like, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out exactly what their whole end game was with it. I'm not sure. They were humorous enough, but I just, I'm not sure if they were supposed to play, like what role they were supposed to be playing in this. Um, but yeah, all that aside. Yeah. I, I don't understand the whole thing about, you know, just like how he was just hypnotizing people with his washer and dryer talk. <laughs> um, and yeah. And I, I think that the first storyline, I did like it. Honestly, the reason I liked it more and, and I will agree up until Honestly, probably that mannequin, you know, sensuality scene. I I wasn't, it was fine. The movie was actually fine up to that point. And then that's when it started getting weird and doing a lot more weird things. And, but I think that again, Marianne, uh, Jean Baptiste, she, she was just captivating in her performance. Like she was just very like real and very, relatable as a person and you feel like she was the actually like only person in this movie that was actually trying um like she was acting in a completely different movie than everybody else (laughs) so and maybe that also is what threw me about like she's doing such a good job and everybody else is not like is that intentional you know (laughs) like i just wasn't sure but yeah i just think um her storyline was more interesting so I, I was caring more about that. And then, um, you know, just like the abrupt, abrupt ending to her story and how she just died. And then, you know, the, the next, the next story that started was, I, I just wasn't, there weren't elements to it that really drew me in. Um, so it's like you ended the the good story abruptly and then you started the story that kind of, didn't really amount to anything in my opinion. Um, I also am kind of just like these ladies that work or just, and the old man too, that work at this retail store, they are very clearly not acting in a manner of retail people. (laughs) Like they're very clearly dressed to stand out. You know what I mean? And just the way that they speak, it was driving me nuts. Because it's just like, can you just give me like a straight answer? Like you're trying to put everything in like this, this way where you think that, you know, it's going to, it's just a very poetic way. And I'm like, no, I'm not feeling that because first of all, like retail people don't talk like that. (laughs) Nobody else in the movie was talking like that. And it was almost like they were like, you know, I don't know if they were trying to be um, and I was kind of reading up on some of the stuff afterwards, like somebody was saying that they were kind of talking like they were fortune tellers almost or something like that. But it just was so in conjunction with everybody else in the movie and all of that. I was just like, this is too much, like doing it every now and then or doing just doing a little bit less of it. But it was just like they're speaking in riddles and I'm not understanding what they're trying to say with this. So it was just a little off-putting, um, but I get that they wanted to kind of emphasize just these very, you know, obviously eccentric 
people who are mysterious and act differently and what's their story, what are they about? But it wasn't executed very well. So for me, it just got kind of annoying how they were being. So yeah. Um, Yeah. And again, they just put in these random scenes in there that you're just like, I don't know what it really is supposed to be adding here to the story. Um, (laughs) And yeah, it just, you know what? And I didn't actually hate the parts either where the lady was going on the dates, you know, she's going on her dates with people and just trying to think about like, because obviously this takes place, you know, before, you know, online dating was a thing or whatever. So it was just kind of interesting, I guess, to see how they were trying to make that work in a world where online dating wasn't really a thing at the time. Um, but I just, I thought that was kind of an amusing aspect of the story. And I also thought it was kind of funny how when they went into the store, like, and they're purchasing stuff and giving their information, they just flat out, like, tell their entire address and they say their full names whenever anybody asks them. And I'm just like, these days, nobody would do that at all. So it was just kind of funny to me how she's like, yeah, this is my full name and this is where I live. Just like, no questions asked, nothing. And I also am wondering, are these just random people? Like, I mean, what, what, why these people? Because it just felt very much like there was an intentional reason that the dress, you know, spoke to these people or that the, the, the dress was picked for these specific people. And I'm, I'm not sure what that reason was, but that's just kind of the feel that it gave me. Um, so it's just kind of like they put a lot of interesting elements in it, but they didn't really fully explain anything or execute it in a way where I feel like you're getting the full picture of what's actually happening here. So, um, yeah, it was just, it was too strange and too many, yeah, disjointed again. I'm going to steal that word from you guys, but yeah, disjointed is absolutely the best word I can think of for what this movie was. All right, Justin, your turn. All right. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'll just go likes and dislikes again. Um, uh, but, but yeah, like whenever this movie, um, starts off, I do agree. I think that the, that three fourths of it, when it was just kind of that one concentrated story on the one character, Sheila, uh, played by Jean Baptiste, she did do a great job. Uh, I thought that she, uh, was very good in this movie and everything like that. And, and at first it, I thought it had a good flow, everything that was happening and stuff like that. And right away, I could kind of see what this was trying to say. Like with some of the scenes that they were doing, even with her story and everything like that. One thing that I really liked was that commercial-ish ad type of thing that kept happening where you would see them sort of waving in the customers and they're doing this sort of hypnosis it it was almost like a hypnotic type of movement but it sort of was like to but 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 yet they were kind of doing this welcome wave to kind of welcome people into this store and stuff like that and I, i just thought that all of that was just so effective in kind of saying this message of how how much 
consumerism feels like that, you know, and can be like that, how a person's life can just be ran by what they consume, what they have to buy. We got to buy the newest thing. And sometimes when you think about commercials, it almost feels like that, you know, come, you know, come into the store. You got to get this. Oh, we've got this coupon for this. Oh, you've got to get this now and you've got to hurry now. and You got to get it into the store. And everybody's kind of doing that wave just like they were in that ad. Like, come in here. Come on. You got to get this. You got to buy this. You got to consume. You got to consume. You got to consume. So I totally was with that. Uh, I, I totally understood kind of what it was trying to say with some of those subliminal things. So I was totally getting that vibe right away. I was like, okay, I kind of see what this is. Um, I get with uh, what you guys are saying with some of the demonic stuff and stuff like that. I guess it just never felt like it was overly done really to me because I didn't see a lot of like, you know, of the stereotypical satanic ritual stuff. Nobody was praising Satan. Nobody was kind of like saying we're doing this for Satan or anything. I don't even know if the word Satan was even said. You know, I I was going back and forth with, are they witches or are they, is this some sort of, are they like sorcerers and sorcerers or are they like witches? I kept going back to that word because it felt like witchcraft to me more than it did demonic uh, stuff. But I get that this dress is supposed to have, is supposed to be like, I guess, a demon or something or an aberration or something like that. So I get that. But they felt more like witches or something like that than they did. And, and like And like the guy, I kept thinking, is he like, a vampire or is he like something because like that's what it all seemed like it was kind of leaning towards to me but we didn't go that direction so maybe that wasn't the the best idea i had but initially that's what i was kind of thinking it it felt like like when you were talking about when they recited the address to her and everything and it almost was like she was gathering that information so that it could be used later for some sort of spell or something like that like it felt like she was a witch more than anything, but uh, but I totally get like uh, some of the demonic stuff. But I guess there wasn't a they didn't really hit the nail on the head with that. So and say yes, these are Satanists, or yes, this is these are satanic people. So I never really got that vibe from it. But yeah, it it totally uh, could have been there. But I was really digging like all the consumer stuff. And then this idea of this dress, like if I wear this dress, it's going to make me feel better. It's going to make make things right. It's going to make my date go well. It's going to, you know, all the things that we kind of tell ourselves sometimes when we're buying clothes or when we're shopping or something like this, we're buying these things in hopes that it is going to enrich us or make our lives better or something like that. But ultimately, you're just going to go in for the next thing and you're going to buy the next thing and the next new thing and stuff. And does this stuff really enrich your life or does it just really make you worse? Can it just consume you? Are you just kind of doomed to follow this pattern? You know, you, you, we, we buy these things, we consume these things, and then we just have to have more of them. Uh, one scene that I thought was brilliant though, even though the last half of the movie, I agree, 
that came so abruptly and there was definitely a better way to do that. I, I like Sterling's idea about maybe doing a bunch of different narratives at the same length of time and then kind of tying it in to see, look what this dress is doing to everybody. But one scene that I thought was brilliant was the scene with the girlfriend where she's in the store now and she's talking about the dream that she had. And she's like, I was flipping through. I was trying to find my size. And as my size was getting bigger, my body was getting smaller and deteriorating. And I thought that that was like such a like profound way of showing what happens to a person that overconsumes. Like what happens like that to me was it wasn't really saying and I, and I don't mean like in a fat shaming side of way like yeah you're getting bigger um your size is getting bigger but really you're getting unhealthier not so much in that way but just showing that like that dynamic of as you consume more and more things you got to have more you got to have a bigger size you got to have the newest thing you got to have more of it but ultimately buying all these products and being manipulated by these people and buying all these things, ultimately what it's taken away from is you really what you are, your health, your mental health, uh, your life is being sucked away by these things that you think you need to have and things that you're trying to get and stuff like that. So I loved that scene. I thought that that was an excellent scene. I just wish that we had told the story of these people better to help that scene. But man, that was an excellent way to show that. I've never seen anybody do anything like that before. So I thought that that was so cool. Um, uh, uh, yeah, and just some other things like with this whole dress and, you know, this, uh, this, and then this idea that when you try to return the dress, you can't return it. They've got something that they've got to say, or there's some reason, and they're trying to keep you in these things or trying to get you to buy more, et cetera, et cetera. Even though, yes, the, the, the members of the store were acting eccentric and weird and stuff like that. Sometimes that is very much your experience with retail. You know, you're just trying to get an exchange or you're just trying to take something back. But people keep telling you policies. And sometimes those policies that they're saying to you and the things that they're saying to you for why they can't take back the product or whatever the case may be, it almost sounds like another language. You know, they're trying to fedangle you and say all these things that you don't understand and give these reasons for why you can't return this product or why you need to buy another product or stuff like that. And sometimes I think that those people can be pushy. And like, I think this was just another way of kind of showing that. Yes, on the surface, these are people that have a motive to get these people there so that we can make more dresses or make more clothes or whatever. And we're using our witchcraft or our demonic possession, whatever you want to call it, to get to manipulate these things in this store. But I think that there was this deeper message about how frustrating it can be with that, like how capitalism is and how it just is like, how do we get them to buy more? How do we get them to buy more? Or, or no, you can't return that or you can return it, but only in a certain amount of time. Or can I get you in something else? You know, I think a lot of those 
the, the way, even though those characters were eccentric and stuff like that, in a lot of ways, they mirrored kind of the way people act and stuff like that. Uh, I also enjoyed those two guys, the, the, the two managers, uh, consultants, whatever they were that were coming in. And like whenever they talked to Baptiste at the beginning and they were trying to coach her on how to make, how to do a handshake and all of this other yeah. kind of stuff. Like, but I think like another, and they were hilarious. I thought that they were great. Um, one of the things that I loved about the film, but I think that uh, another thing that that was trying to say is just how like your job or your occupation tries to consume you. Like how they try to make you this one thing. You're not really your own person or an individual anymore. It's like, you got to do these things. You got to shake a hand this way. When you waved at this person, they took that as you getting out of line because you're just another worker. You're just an inferior worker and you're, um, you know, and, and, and you saying hi is nothing that we want to happen. So let's coach you on how to say hi and shake hands and stuff like that. I think another part of consumerism is the way like your occupation consumes you like uh, demands out of you and stuff like that. And I think maybe that's what the whole hypnosis of the man talking about his job and his work and fixing stuff was about too. And why they were just so mesmerized by that. And they just loved that because a worker talking about what he does at work is kind of music to a boss's ears. Like, oh yeah, that's what I want you to talk about. You know, talk about this stuff because anything to prevent you from talking about something about you or your own individuality or anything like that. What I want you to hear is what I want to hear from you is something about work, something about being productive for me because I am consuming you as a boss. And maybe I'm wrong about that, but just now that I'm talking, maybe there was a correlation there with that. But, uh, but I mean, there were other characters who weren't bosses who he was hypnotizing and stuff like that. So I don't know, maybe I'm off on that, but I feel like maybe there's a correlation there or maybe in a better written story, there'd be a correlation. Uh, but, but yeah, so like anytime it was doing that consumerism stuff or doing the weird commercial or everybody coming in or like when everybody was lined up coming in and they were kind of down on the ground and like acting like they were about to welcome them. And even though they're kind of doing this ritual in a way, while these people are waiting to get in the door and everything, it almost felt like a Black Friday, right? Like that's what it felt like to me. You got all these consumers lined up and they can't wait to get in the store. And then you've got these people that have complete, in that moment, those stores have complete control over those people. Like, when we open is when you come in and everything like that. And then uh, just, I, and I think a lot of this movie was that. It was trying to show you just how we are as consumers and how much of a prison that can create. And this dress, this relentless dress, you have to wear me no matter what. I'm going to be a part of your life no matter what. It doesn't matter, even when you try to escape me, I'm going to find a way to come back and do something to you and stuff like that. That 
relentless dress or the, the or the dress that you can't say no to, you know, say yes to the dress. You know, these things are very much ingrained in our society, like ingrained in our culture and stuff like that. So this idea of this dress that you can't say no to is like, yes, it, on the surface, it's silly. But when you think about it, man, that is quite profound. Like, you know, the, the, this, the, you know, these clothes, these things that we just can't say no to, we feel like we need to have, and they ultimately just give us a worse quality of life. Like the deteriorating girl when she was flipping through the pages of her size changing. Uh, so all of those things I love. But yes, like you guys said, and not to beat a dead horse, but just what you guys said is true. The narrative was too disjointed. They should have split it up a different way. I didn't like, I'm just like y'all. I hated how suddenly we were just with these other people and stuff was happening. I hated that. There had to have been a better way to do this. And man, you had such a good message. I think you had a lot of potential with this, but if you had just found a better way to compartmentalize this narrative, man, this could have been so much better. Dare I say it could have been masterpiece level if they had just focused on the consumerism and tried to make everything kind of run through that consumerism, capitalism message. Um, oh, and even the scene, which was kind of silly, but but I thought was very fitting, was when whenever he was in front of the one boss and he's trying to and the guy goes, give me your name and badge and he just eats it. That man that just had the greatest poker face of all time, the boss that <laughs> with the poker face, when he just eats his badge, eats his identity and just chews it up. And like, yes, in the moment that was very silly and I could see how somebody could go, OK, that was dumb. Why would he eat his name badge? But it's just that whole thing about what was that man doing? Consuming his identity, consuming who he was making all that he was was about this work and about fixing this stuff and stuff like that so just this idea of your job consuming your identity consuming who you are taking so many hours from you and literally sometimes when you're at a job especially if it's an abusive job it feels like that it feels like somebody is literally eating you, putting you in their mouth, chewing you up and spinning you out whenever they can. Go do this. Go do that. Go do this. So I don't know. So see, I was feeling a lot of the allegories in this. I just wish it was done in a better executed narrative. And unfortunately, it, it just wasn't. So this misses the mark in a lot of ways when, man, it had the potential to really hit some marks. So, yeah. I think I'm done. I guess the reason why I never went to witchcraft or anything like that is because it could very much be witchcraft. The thing is, especially with it being the 1970s style and stuff like that, while they never said the devil or anything like that, even if they are witches, whenever they start portraying them as evil witches, there's also the satanic allegory in that, especially if you're basing it in going for the 1970s thing. Because especially in the 1970s horror movies and anything like that, there wasn't that nuance of anything. If there's witches, there's the devil. That's how it goes. 
Oh, okay. You know what I mean? I got you. Like, it's, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like, they never said the devil. And, like I said, for what, for all intents and purposes, Justin, you could be 100% right. They were just witches. It's just if it's, if you're basing it on a 1970s film, witches is the devil, you know? And that's still kind of the theme in general or the, the association that Hollywood's done for so long that evil witches are tied to the devil. You know what I mean? So, unless it's something like Hereditary where, it's devil adjacent with Piedmont or something. It's still the same shit. Um, oh, there's one other thing you said specifically I was going to comment on. I don't remember. Maybe I'll think about it. Heather, do you have anything to add? No. Um, no, I think I, I've got pretty much everything I wanted to say. Yeah, I just, and I guess, like, I don't know why, but I really just missed the whole the whole train about the consumerism thing. I mean, I got parts of it, like the part you're talking about with the the girl who, you know, was slipping through the magazine and everything. And I even actually did see that as her more, um, like just kind of her insecurities about herself because how she kept like asking people, like, do you really think that's my size? Like, you're not lying to me. You really think that's the size that I am and all of that. So I guess the the way I saw that scene was a little bit different because I thought it was just her having the dream of like, no matter how much I try to, you know, be smaller and lose weight or be a smaller size dress, the smaller I was getting, the bigger the number dress that I was getting. So um, I saw that more as like just an insecurity of herself, but what you're saying does make sense, you know? Um, and so... I, I think yeah, you're correct I, too, though. I think you're correct too, both. though. Yeah, it, it was both because a lot of this too is about people's insecurities. Like the the first woman, uh, Baptista's character, yeah. her insecurity was just the fact that she was single, right? Like she was trying to find the right, right guy, didn't have she was alone, and everything like that. So her buying the dress and stuff like that. Those insecurities led to her consumption of things. And a lot of times that is why we're buying things like a lot of the times, right? Normally, like, what did they say all the time about the guy with the big truck or the the people who buy all the guns or whatever? What do they always usually say? You're compensating for something, right? Right. And, and, And so that that's kind of what a lot of these characters were doing. So, no, you're totally right. Her insecurities is what took her there and what was and and why she was there. That drives your that sometimes drives consumption. But like the point is, is that that'll never really fix you, though. You know, yeah. you got to really do some inner work to really fix yourself. The, the what you consume is never really, truly going to fix you. That that's got to yeah. come from you. You know, so no, I believe you are correct. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And I guess I will also say, like, I agree that I don't quite understand at the end what was going on where she would go down each level of the little thing she was on and see the people who were supposedly dead, you know, sewing the red dress. So I I didn't quite understand what that was supposed to be. Um, So I'm sure there is obviously a meaning for it. I'm just not sure what it was. So not having the full understanding of that was also like a, the ending was just kind of a non-factor for me. So yeah, that was it. 
I mean, a lot of the, a lot of that, especially when the store was burning down and stuff like that, a lot of those were allegories for hell. Because allegories is the key word for this podcast episode. Because, <laughs> like, whatever there was the, the the whole building was on fire. There was this part with circles. It was like going into the middle circle. Everything else around it was on fire. Stuff like that. It's all symbolism for the circles of hell and all this other stuff, which is also then her going down into it and stuff like that. You're just sitting down. It's like you're just sitting down in hell. And all these people were then like more or less enslaved souls to do, to make more clothes, to feed the consumerism, to then at, at, at that point also then like feed the devil type of shit. Like it all just kind of flows together in that manner. Yeah. The vicious circle of consumerism and capitalism and stuff like that, you know, just that cycle of it, you know, you are consumed by it. And then you ultimately, you are also contributing to it for it to continue kind of, you know, but, but now that you say that though, yes, on the outside of that though, like, like now that you say that, yeah, cause there was fire and then they were descending down. So, yeah, I can see a lot of that, too, for sure. Actually, I did. Um, I, I was just kind of reading this article from the guy who who made this film, uh, Peter Strickland. He does make a little bit of an interesting point here um, that says, um, we're also looking at body dysmorphia how you are a prisoner to your perception of yourself, maybe your distorted perception, fetishism, and how it's very difficult to throw a dead person's clothing away. I think clothing is inherently haunted to some degree. Uh, Once it's been worn by someone, it contains its own power, whether it's the power to disgust you, the power to turn you on, or the power to make you cry. So I guess I wanted to do a genre film, but I wanted to look at this way I wanted to look at it this way. Uh, the characters are ruled by clothing. I mean, I get Ooh. what he's saying, but I think he didn't quite hit the mark, the mark with showing all that in there. <laughs> yeah. That is an interesting message to do, but yeah, I think it just wasn't executed well enough for you to really fully get that picture of it. All right. Well, you guys got any more thoughts about this in fabric movie? Nope. Nah. I do. Fuck you, Mike. <laughs> um, all right. So on that note, guys, thank you for listening to this episode of the Simmons podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.simmonslayers.com. Uh, Facebook, we're a Cinema Slayers podcast. Twitter and Instagram, where we're cinema underscore slayers. TikTok, where we're cinema slayers pod. Um, we've got a lot of stuff, more stuff coming your way, more bonus episodes, more regular stuff. Just yeah, subscribe. Like, Give us rating review. We really appreciate that. It'll really help us out. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell your family's friends, tell your friends' family. Um, especially mothers, because I've realized that mothers like both knights and 70s horror films about fashion. So they would definitely love <laughs> this episode. Scientifically proven. Just don't even bother questioning me. And just, you know what? As I end our TikToks and as I end this podcast, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight. Is the best picture winner. What to say? Somebody will listen to me. Nobody knows anything but you.
like you're supposed to so it's still three in a row <laughs> man living in a material world material living in a material world i i agree justin that would have been the perfect song to sing like 10 seconds before you did it <laughs> god Ugh. i mean you're the one that sets yourself up to be you singing during the outro, not the you know after outro song talking segment that we sometimes do. The outro music, you're the one that set that standard, Jess. I'm just following your standard. I'm trying to hold you to the standards you set for yourself. Great muffins. That doesn't count, Justin. In your heart of hearts, do you really think that counts? Counts in my heart. But in your heart of hearts, Justin, not your heart, your heart of hearts. <laughs> Be honest with yourself. Learn the lesson that Gawain taught you. Be honorable and be honest. Does that count, Justin? Hell no. I rest my case. 